Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we discuss the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, Ghostbusters Afterlife opens in theaters, and our guests are Ivan and Jason Reitman. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 191 of Real Blend, a podcast that is exactly 2.84 points better than Jake. My name is Sean O'Connell, the winner of this week's fantasy football. <laughs> you got that mug just for this week. I love it. Uh, the winner of this week's fantasy football and also the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, Jake, is quitting the show uh, and may not speak for the rest of this. So I'm really glad that uh, that Gabe Kovach is going to be joining us. I'll get to introductions in a second. Uh, on this week's show, we have a new Spider-Man trailer to discuss Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to hit theaters, and we're going to review that in addition to a ton of other movies that are opening. And then uh, our guests, oh my god, our guests are uh, Jason Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters Afterlife, and his father, Ivan Reitman, who directed Ghostbusters 1 and 2, uh, is joining his son uh, for a conversation here on the Roblin podcast. And it is, uh, it's something else. So um, let's get right to the show, because we've got a lot to get into. I'm sorry, with Jake Hamilton. J- Jake, to be fair, I didn't, I didn't want to make that joke because... Our contest was so close uh, going through Monday night that literally in the third quarter, we were still like the the uh, estimate at the bottom of who could win was still 50 50. It was no, it was please, that, please that tell close. me more about how you didn't want to make a joke that you just made. Yeah, I know. But I, but but it's for the show. It's for the people who are listening. So you understand, right? I invited you into that freaking league, dude. It's Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Uh, Kev is on vacation. Kev's enjoying a cruise at the moment. Yes. And so uh, Gabe Kovach slides yeah, into the third chair. You're an ass whooping. That's what you're cruising for. How are you, brother? Good to see you. I'm good. I'm dressed as uh, Willem Dafoe in The Life Aquatic right now. <laughs> who, um, as, we'll learn, as we'll learn later in the show, actually appears in Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes, he does. <laughs> well, we hear his voice. But he's yeah. but he's this character from Life Aquatic. That's what everyone doesn't yeah. know. It's not oh, a Green Goblin. That's yeah. Yeah. getting weird. It's a bunch that of Wes Anderson characters that are invading <laughs> oh, Spider-Man's universe. I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> You're gonna be kidding me. That'd be fantastic. You um, want Twee Spider-Man? Okay. Has anyone seen French Dispatch? No. It's I, in it's, theaters by me. I, it's I. It's just I, the. You know, I've told you guys in the past that I'm very hit and miss with Wes Anderson, and yeah. the description uh, uh, that I've heard from many people is it's the most Wes Anderson movie Wes Anderson's ever made, sure. which is not a description that's making me want to rush out and go see it. Um, I understand that, but then every single time one of his movies comes around, and it's something as like Isle of Dogs, or um, um what was right before that? The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, I did love Grand Budapest. And I'm always like, this just looks like it's going to be too much. And then I go watch it and I'm like, this is delightful. Like it's, it is delightful. So I, I have to get over and see it because it's sitting in theaters. And But there's a lot coming, as you guys will see. Um, if you're watching us yeah. on YouTube, to look at Gabe's uh, Life Aquatic cosplay, say hello. 
uh, hit subscribe, turn on notifications. And if you're listening as an audio listener for the very first time uh, or trying to catch up with the show and figure out what it is, you can go over to youtube.com backslash real blend podcast and watch a visual element. Of course, we're available everywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to sign up for Real Blend Premium, you can get an ad-free version of the show, uh, an extra segment each week on Mondays, those drop, uh, and a newsletter. And I'm going to be writing a newsletter this week. It'll arrive every single Friday. So check the description for information on where to sign up for Real Blend Premium. And I want to let you guys know that we dropped a bonus episode this week. We had an interview with King Richard director, Ronaldo Marcus Green, terrific storyteller uh not just in his film which is a crowd pleaser of a film uh will smith starring as uh, the father of venus and serena williams uh, and all about their upbringing but just uh talking to ray about his background he was a kindergarten teacher um he you know an unusual path to becoming a a film director studying with um uh, the directors of the 1970s and essentially getting crash courses uh, with being able to interact with with several of them uh, and just dude knows his cinema. So it's a terrific, terrific bonus episode. If you haven't a chance to go listen to it, uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green talking about King Richard. It's wherever you get all of our episodes. And it's also there's a video element on one of our YouTube channels. So uh, that, that's just, you guys it's just go insane that out. like the director of one of the most anticipated movies of the week of the month yeah. of the season. Yeah. is our bonus episode. I know, I know, but when you have the Reitmans, you, uh, I mean, last week, Hans Zimmer was a bonus. Yeah, there's no, um, there's no difference. It's just how many we have. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. It's just the, the idea yeah. that, like, we've got too big, too much stuff for one show, that there has to be another show. I know, it's very yeah. true. We're, we're blessed. We're very, very lucky that the studio is... Well, one day I'm going to find out that I didn't make the main show. They're like, sorry, Jake, but, but we'll get you in on the bonus. <laughs> You'll always be part of the show, Jake. Come on. Put, put that mug down. <laughs> put that mug down. All right, weekly poll. If you're not watching us on YouTube, you're really missing a great visual element. Uh, Jake, I got to throw this to you because Gabe has seen the poll. Um, I, I asked the people. As you could have just said, poll, Jake, I'm going to throw this to you because I really care about what you I think. Because I really want to Look, hear. I, my ego really it needs, needs some <laughs> it, help this week. It is an issue. I'm going to have to start <laughs> throwing compliments your way. Uh, the weekly poll was, when will you see Ghostbusters Afterlife? I don't hmm. So answer me this, because it feels like with a lot of the buzz about Spider-Man and uh, that that Disney Plus day with the dump of information about Marvel shows and, and Star Wars shows. And maybe because Ghostbusters peaked a little bit early by going to New York Comic Con, that I feel like the buzz on this isn't as strong as it should be this week. Um, and so for that reason, I wanted to ask people, like, when do they think they're going to go see it? So I gave them the options of opening weekend. Uh, in theaters eventually, and then probably at home. So where do you think, where do you think the people went? I think they, you know, I agree with you. And it, I, it almost reminds me of, and it would work out if it, if it, the result was the same, but it almost reminds me of Dune. Remember with Dune, we were saying how, like, how is this movie not out already? And I think a huge mm. part of it is like Dune, we did the junket like six weeks before the movie came out and we got all excited about it. We all saw it. And then we all kind of stopped talking about it. And then all of a sudden it popped up and went, and even like one of my bosses at work, whenever I was talking about it, he goes like, that movie hasn't come out yet. Like I thought yeah. that movie came out already. I was like, no, that's not good that you don't know that. Um, yeah. I think most people probably said eventually because most people I talk to seem to at least be interested in it. I mm-hmm. don't know if I've talked to anyone that's like, oh my God, I absolutely, I'm going Saturday. But yep. everyone I talk to is, oh yeah, I really want to go see it. Actually, uh, Kelly, who works with us at Cinema Blend, who is a very big fan of the first two Ghostbusters, 
And I asked her today, as she actually listens to Riblin on the regular. So hello, Kelly. Uh, I said, are you going this weekend to go see Ghostbusters? And she was like, oh, my gosh, that's right. Like she is in the wheelhouse and had to be reminded that it's coming this weekend. Um, Are you going to call? movie phone well i guess you're gonna call kelly and remind her that (laughs) ghostbusters is coming uh no jake the winner of the poll was probably at home no no 40.7 people said probably at home 34 percent of the people said opening weekend and then 24 percent said in theaters eventually so yeah kind of split kind of all over the place and this is not one of those titles that's available on streaming in any way shape or form yeah. uh, early so you're gonna have to go to the theater if you want to go see it i will yeah. note that um we also put this poll this is the twitter poll we also put it on youtube which um is a bit of a wider audience sure um and gets gets a lot more interaction on it and it had 60 percent last i checked um probably at home oh wow really yeah which i thought was kind of crazy that's discouraging because it does wow. it is really a, a film that oh. you know and some if you're interested did, in it at all. Yeah. And there were the there were some people who uh, pointed out in the comments that they were not interested in the movie at all. So there's that. Do you think it was the uh, 2016 version that have turned people off to the idea of the I, franchise? No, because it's not like the 20. It's not like Star Wars. Right. Like, right. Th- that was kind of its own thing. OK, I can see that. Yeah. I don't this know. One very <laughs> much made the statement of like, we're returning to Ghostbusters. Oh, then let's can we play a quick box office guess what we think it's going to do? Uh yeah yeah we find I, I like that. that down. That's kind of fun. Um, Jake, any idea? Remember <sighs> first. I wanna. Here's what I'll say: is that I I really do think that maybe it doesn't have a massive big splashy, um, opening weekend. Like if I I think I like I'll peg it. At, I I hope I'm being conservative and, and under underestimating. I'm gonna say 25. Okay. But I also think it's and we've talked about this. I. Movies that come out around Thanksgiving can be really sneaky where like you look at their opening weekend and you think like, okay, yeah, that's decent. And then all of a sudden you look up four weeks later and go, wait, what the hell? How did it make $200 million? And it's just because it just consistently keeps making, you know, on on days that normally would be dead at the movies, all of a sudden all the families are going out and seeing it. Um, I think it's in a really good position to have some legs. Eternal seems to be kind of dying down. There's mm-hmm. not a ton of, you know, and I could see, you know, dads very much being like, hey, kids, like, you know, I grew up on these. Let's go see the new Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, so I could, but my prediction is maybe it doesn't blow us all away this weekend, but I think ultimately uh, the Thanksgiving Day placement is really smart and that it could get it, give it some really great legs. Okay. Um, I'm going to be optimistic and I'm going to go 29. I'll go a little bit higher than you. What, optimistic? Um, that's 4 million more than me. I was going to say, you yeah. think that's optimistic? I do I was because... Say- Go ahead. I would be afraid to see a number come back in the teens. Like, I'm worried Ooh, that that happens. No. I'm a little worried that happens. See, I thought I was I thought I was kind of landing in the like, this is reasonable, whereas Jake is playing it safe mm. at 30 million. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, the hope that it yeah. would the, with the hope that it would like get closer to 40. But you think 20 you think so you think 25 is like already pretty optimistic. If you think 29 is optimistic, you think 25 is like reasonable. I, I I will say that I'm hesitant to even put a, th- a number in the 30s, to be honest with you. Yeah. Pretty I just right. for, for some reason, I only because going into this week, I do not sense the buzz. Yeah. Being there for it. And uh, I don't know, because word of mouth was strong coming out of the New York Comic Con screening. But then again, and uh, 
to, to play devil's advocate, because we often talk about how sort of we exist within this this movie bubble, right, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, and we've talked about that in the sense of, like, In the Heights. All of us thought In the Heights was going to be massive because we were all talking about it, and then it came out. It didn't really... Mm. Do you think because the bubble in which we exist, all of us really already saw the movie, like, six to eight weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think because the bubble in which we exist kind of already saw it and moved on that maybe we're equating that to a like a more wide span audience who actually may be aware of it this week. It's very possible. I think um, that's fair. Yeah. And, and so also what, the hype around to use that analogy, the hype that we were building around in the Heights was Hamilton. Everyone was like, Oh yeah, Hamilton is yeah. the biggest thing on the planet. So it has yeah. to be, everyone has to be excited about yeah. the next thing. Sure. Whereas this is like, it's a Ghostbusters thing and everyone is a big fan of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like it's more, yeah, it makes more sense. And they are like not shying away from letting, uh, which is amazing because I got ripped apart on YouTube for talking to the to the actors about the original guys coming back, and now the original guys are doing like interviews on Fallon. Like they're <laughs> yeah. not they're not shying away from the. It, w- it would be like if Toby right. and Andrew were just like out there on Kimmel, like yakking it up about Spider Man. Well, like they're not hiding the fact that these guys are in it. Wasn't right. one of the biggest problems people had with with the 2016 version was that like it just kind of. It was a total reboot. It it didn't it didn't touch yeah because on the, the, the original guys were in it, but they well, but they were different people. Yeah, but they played different people. Yeah, it was not good. So I could see why the, again they're trying to play like, hey, this isn't 2016 version is not related to this, and also we're doing the things that you wanted. So I could see that. All right, I'm gonna. This is a completely unscientific. Oh, all right, well that's interesting. This is a completely unscientific poll. Um, but I went to my AMC. Oh, okay, hold on, never mind. I take it back. Uh, I went to Thursday night. And I pulled up the seven o'clock screening at an AMC close to my house and I pulled up the seating chart and there were seven seats sold for it. Um, And then I pulled up the seating chart for a different AMC uh, and there were four seats sold for it Thursday night, seven o'clock. Now I jumped ahead to Friday where they have a lot more screens uh, set during the day and the two thirty screening on a Friday was sold out. And then I pulled up the pulled up the seven o'clock one and there are. There's roughly nine seats left, so that's much better. That makes me feel better. That is much better. Yes. Yeah. I I really do think that maybe it's a it's a situation where like maybe the Thursday numbers aren't going to be good, but I could see it doing very well like midday Saturday. Well, I think you're right about this, too, in that this isn't Thanksgiving weekend, right? Yeah. So it's getting a little bit of a head start. But I I see this as a big Thanksgiving play. Sure. 100%. I think there's going to be a lot of families either on Black Friday or even Thursday after they're done eating who say, oh, we should all go see the Ghostbusters movie. Right. Yeah. And and then it does it has a really strong second. Week. Yeah, I hope it does. I really because well, families aren't really going out to see House of Gucci. Right. Mm. But they should. But, but that's, my, the, but that's to, a movie you. I'm curious to see how well it does. Like an R-rated movie that's almost three hours that a lot of people have been asking me now that's a movie that a lot of people have been coming to me asking me i think gaga stands are gonna gonna flood the theater i don't know how to judge that movie i I cannot but you know what you know what i haven't seen it though either so i don't really know what it's offering uh, right right every time a a movie comes out you know what everyone asks me these days what where can i stream it really yeah like that's a habit we gotta get people out of yeah, that, that honestly, that, that's like everyone because I aired some House of uh, Gucci interviews you know, on my uh, show today, and everyone came up. I was like, "Oh, we're like I can stream it next week," and I was like, "You can stream it in your eyeballs if you go into a movie theater." <laughs> yeah, right? Where Jake, you stream it? Yeah. The area the Regal Cinemas. Yeah. Go, Jake. Do you remember when you were a kid? I say Jake. Maybe Sean had this experience as well. 
But do you remember the push for like the like turn off your TVs and go outside like on like on like Nickelodeon, like on the kids channels where they would have like a day or whatever, a weekend where they were like, let's turn That's, off our TVs and go outside. That sounds vaguely familiar. That yeah. does sound vaguely we familiar. We need that for streaming. Let's yeah. shut down all the streaming <laughs> services for a yeah. big weekend in the summer and let's go to the theater, you know? Next next summer, let's do it. I'm look, for Gabe, it. <laughs> look, we're, we're trying to get some talent from TikTok. You are not helping. Oh yeah, us. you're right. But also, we'll <laughs> Wait, turn, turn right, on Netflix. Wait, we'll turn, turn on Netflix. Right back yeah. on. We'll yeah. turn right back yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. Not that. We'll, we'll, we'll leave service. it on, but we'll just leave <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Are you turn still watching? Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm always watching. <laughs> All right. Listen, we're we're killing time here, and we have a terrific interview to throw to, uh, namely. The men responsible for the Ghostbusters franchise in the first place. Ivan Reitman, who directed uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2, and his son Jason, who is uh, picking up the baton and trying to continue the legacy of this franchise. And the two of them got together. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun. I'll tell you a fun story about this uh, after the fact. But um, without further ado, Jason and Ivan Reitman as guests on the Rebel Blood Podcast. Insane. Insane. So not to Please. name drop, this is a really weird name drop, but Damien Chazelle came on our show a while ago and he told us this okay, really so you interesting know fancy fact. people, got we it. Do, yeah, we <laughs> hang out with the, uh, the elite, the cream of the crop. Um, he told us this cool thing that I never even thought of, but it's so true, is that your opening scene is so important because you don't, you only really have the audience's full attention at that moment. Like, they don't know yet if the movie that they're sitting down for is Citizen Kane uh, or some piece of trash that they're never going to see again. So I really wanted to know how you guys came up with the way that you were going to open uh, the first Ghostbusters in X amount of years. Well, it was Jason's idea. <laughs> Jason wrote this script and really had it all. I just got to watch. Jason, did you have anything in particular? I knew that we wanted to open with, uh, with an action set piece. You know, the mm -hmm. thing that I loved about the original Ghostbusters is right from the get-go in the original, even though it was a comedy, it told you that the scares were going to be legit. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, I was at the Directors Guild uh, a few years ago on a panel with Steven Spielberg because, you know what, I know some fancy people too. Now, and, now that's, and, a better, uh, that's a better uh, name drop. drop. <laughs> You're we winning so far. Hanging. Anyway, um, <laughs> he leans over to me and goes, what are you doing next? And I said, I'm doing Ghostbusters. And out of nowhere, he just goes, library ghost, top 10 scares of all time. <laughs> and uh, and he's right. It's just like one of the great scares. And by the way, this is from like the guy who you know made Jaws. Uh, so uh, I knew that I wanted something off the top that was just as legit that let you know we're taking this seriously. And we wanted a real action set piece. We wanted something that would be elliptical with the end of the film. And uh, uh, and and we knew that. This movie, I gotta, this is very tough to do, guys, because I don't want to give things away, even in the beginning of the movie. Sure, um, I understand. And, uh, and obviously, uh, as you guys know, we open with something big. We mm. open with something groundbreaking, which sets our main characters on their journey. It connects us from the past to the present into the future. Um, but that was what was behind it. Cool. Yeah. Thank it's you. a great, it's, it's an amazing opening. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you told me a great story yesterday during the TV junket that I want to get your father's uh, reaction on. So I know, Jason, you were in Ghostbusters 2. You had that scene. Uh, but Jason, you told me that you shot a scene for Ghostbusters 1 with your sister and your mom. Yep. Uh, and then that scene was cut out of the movie. Which I'm so happy that you're bringing this up. I think this is a good time to air this out. Let's talk little, about this, shall little, we? A little bit of therapy. A little, little bit of therapy. therapy. <laughs> but so, Ivan, you cut this scene out of Ghostbusters 1 of your of your son your daughter and and your wife 
Um, That's it. Brought- Just your son, your daughter, <laughs> and your wife. Let's cut them out of the movie. And then that footage has now been brought back here, which is so incredible in terms of like legacy. But Ivan, I wanted to get your perspective because you shoot that scene. Like, how hard was that to cut? And Jason, do you remember that being cut from the film? And how did you end up finding the footage? Well, I, I tried really hard actually to keep it. We were real hard. <laughs> it just broke his heart. First of all, I only had one take. He wouldn't go back for a second time. I, oh. He was frightened about doing a second That's take. not true, because I've gone into the dailies, and there were two takes. Oh. <laughs> roll, the, roll the tape, gentlemen. <laughs> but Ivan, was that a tough decision to, 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 pull, to, to cut that out? I, re- I remember... I mean, it's almost 40 years ago, and I still remember the conversations I had with uh, Sheldon Kahn, uh, who was our editor, about this damn scene. And um, <laughs> he goes, when will this ever come up again, he said. <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> so we are secret. We're, we'll put it in the, the back of that vault with the lost ark. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, I can't remember. I mean, we had parts of that scene in there, but I guess I've always wanted it in there. And um, I can't remember how it ended up out of it. And when Jason pulled it out, we did this uh, thing, I guess, three years ago or two years ago, the beginning of the pandemic, the uh, Ghostbusters Day, where you did this wonderful thing where you archived a bunch of stuff. Uh, outtakes from from the original Ghostbusters. And I knew that I wanted to use footage from the 84 film in this yeah. film. And so what was incredible is, you know, if you work in this business, you hear about this thing. I'm sure you guys have heard it before. Like, oh, yeah, they keep all the negatives in the salt mine. Have you heard this before? In Kansas, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, where is yeah. this salt mine filled with <laughs> film? And uh, so I pushed them on it because I kind of honestly thought that they were just full of shit. They're like, you know, it's the same they tell the directors. They're like, don't worry, the dailies are in the salt mine. They get just like, where, where are we going to look for that? And lo and behold, a truck full of boxes show up at Sony and it's all the original negative from 1984. That's and we insane. start scanning 65 millimeter cloud tank footage. We start scanning 35 millimeter original dailies, original camera dailies from 1984. And they look amazing. I mean, when you hear Chris Nolan and PTA talking about why you shoot on film, this is why. It looked extraordinary. So we started scanning stuff, and I knew there was stuff that we wanted to put in this movie. And... I said, you got to look for this take. I know the scene. It's outside the apartment building, and it's my mom, it's my my sister and I. And sure enough, they find the dailies, and um, I reserved director's cut for one thing. I knew that was going in. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank That's you for sharing that. I'm, 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 I'm glad we got to get that therapy. We had, we had to get that worked out. We Thank you. Yeah, I think no we, honestly, I think we made it worse. <laughs> uh, guys, uh, I, I really think since uh, the, the second Ghostbusters 2 ended, audiences around the world, we've been like looking at our watches going, okay, like Ghostbusters 3 win. Like, let's, let's go, let's go. I'm curious, over the last 30 years, how many different iterations or variations of a, like, for lack of a better word, a Ghostbusters 3 idea have there been? And other than Afterlife, which one is the one that got the closest to happening? Well, 
it was probably uh, something I was working on with Harold uh, before he mm-hmm. passed away. And um, we just, you know, we wanted to tell a story. It was really, um, in that story, in fact, um, uh, Bill Murray dies in the first sequence. I, did I ever tell you this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, he gets hit. He, hits a, he gets hit by a bus in Manhattan. And, um, and then uh, Murray was coming back as a ghost. As, uh, huh. He was basically making Meet Joe Black. Oh, oh. interesting. Okay. That's it. I would That's actually watch that. I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. I'd be honest with you. I would love to see Meet Joe Black with Bill Murray instead of Brad Pitt. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, Harold died. And um, so that never got made. And I decided that I was no longer going to make another Ghostbusters um, movie myself as, mm. as a director. And um, I think, you know, then Paul Feig made the next one. And... And uh, Jason now has really sort of continued the story that we started um, with the first and second films. Absolutely. Um, Jason, I want to dive into your work with uh, Eric Stilberg, who I think is a brilliant so, DP. Yeah. Uh, and the work that you guys have done to this point, very current, very You know modern. what he's shooting right now? No, no, I don't. He's got pulled into the Star Wars universe. Who is he filming for? He's what? the DP on their new TV show. Is he really? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. swear to God. My Spielberg edit- is brilliant. My editor is on Mandalorian, and uh, and my my DP has gone to the, the new spinoff. So, um, oh, is he shooting? You go to a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard to visit him. Is he shooting Boba Fett? The book of Boba Fett? No, hey. it's the next one. Oh, the next one after that. Okay. Well, um, I just wanted you to talk about conversations that you had with him, so that your footage. Would look and fe- you have a look and feel in this movie that looks totally. like thirty five millimeter. Yeah, uh, that you know connects visually to the to the eighty four film. What were yeah. some of the conversations you had to maybe change your approach? And, and yeah, and I mean, so look, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, my Eric and I have known each other since we were fifteen years old. I mean, the first short film we worked on together, we had to be dropped off because we <clears throat> didn't have driver's licenses yet, and um, uh, we have such a shorthand at this point. Um, and we grew up on the same movies, you know, we're the same age. And mm. we grew up in L.A. and loved all the movies that were the influence for this. And it started out with a conversation about Laszlo Kovacs and how he shot the original Ghostbusters, which has a really clean look. It's interesting because mm. if you think about supernatural mm. films, your presumption is that they're going to be kind of overtly colorful in their lighting approach. And the lighting is actually clean. It's like everything in Ghostbusters. The concept was to make it real. And mm-hmm. what we wanted to combine that with was our sense of mutual nostalgia, which comes from the movies of the 80s directed by my father, Zemeckis, Spielberg, talking about, obviously, E.T., Back to the Future, Goonies, Gremlins, like all these movies that uh, are, have become kind of a, a part of how we, how we remember like what we think movies were, how we think our teenage years were, and that time when teenage stories were told with a sense of reality, uh, with real stakes. Mm. So it became this kind of combination of how do we make a movie that feels 100% like Ghostbusters and simultaneously uh, mm. reminds us of what it was like to watch those movies in the 80s as kids. Mm. Mm. You know, I'm, I want to geek out with you both about how the Proton Pack has shifted in terms of where we are with technology now, in terms of the way it's fired in the movie and kind of the effects that are created yeah. for it. Uh, Ivan, for you, 
the scene in the original when they're in the hotel and they're doing the don't cross the streams to get Slimer to go into the into the box. Um, I want to compare the way you shot that scene and kind of what the streams were back then. And then, Jason, for you, with the chase in the begin- uh, towards the beginning with the car as they're trying to chase Muncher, yeah. um, kind of what how the effects have changed. Like, is the sound effect still the same with the Proton Pack and like how, the, how you actually created the digital aspect of it? So for Ivan, for you, how did you do it back then? And Jason, how'd you do it here? Well, we built a prop and... Uh... We got a great sound designer, much in post-production, a very contracted time. I forgot his name now. He was a really famous. He, he worked, I think he worked for Coppola um, mm-hmm. on his ranch where he was doing his uh, the sound mixing for all his films. And I thought he was just a great uh, sound creator. Um, but, you know, we would try to do things practically. I mean... We shot actually in a in a real hotel uh, in downtown Los Angeles in that sequence for most of it, and we we built um, fake walls on the in front of the real walls, and our walls, you know, had different kinds of explosives beneath it, so that you know the. The guys would shoot, and it would just go boom, 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 and we would have the effect live. And then electronic, I mean, in post-production, we would add animated, because those were animated. They weren't digitally created, so they're really 2D. They were drawn. Yeah. Yeah, I was was wondering. They must have been drawn back then. Yeah, Yeah. but we had a real 3D effect in the, practically, on the set. And um, so all that kind of stuff, and it was you know, fairly carefully choreographed. Um, cool. So even things like uh, the cart, you know, had a had a wire on it, you know, that went through the back wall that some <laughs> some guys on a queue would mm-hmm. yank as fast yeah. as they could, and it naturally just crashed against the wall, and all the stuff would fall off. Wow. That's all. That's wow. awesome. And Jason, so Jason, for your streams, they're just they're, I would imagine they're, they're, you did them digitally now, right? Uh, versus drawing them. So but going into Afterlife, we wanted to make uh, everything in the original recipe. So we studied the original Ghostbusters frame by frame. So when my dad uh, describes the way they would use practical reaction effects on set, we did the same exact thing. So we would study and go, all right, the first thing that happens when a uh, when a proton beam hits something, there's a spark. So the first thing you'll see when, for instance, in the foundry, when a proton beam first makes contact, spark. Then what you do is in the second shot, you lay a line of fuel so that you can get the lingering flames. If you think about it in the in the hotel, right? They hit something, it sparks, and then in the next shot, you see like a line with paper. frames on it. Exactly. So. Uh, so, first shot, spark. Second shot, flame line. And then in between, you gotta have the proton beam. We did go back and we found the original sound file. Will Files, who worked on Force Awakens, worked on this film, went back, found the original, actually went into the mix, and pulled out the sound files for PKE meter, the proton pack turning on, the neutronal one firing, the siren for Ecto-1. All of that sound goes back to the original. People love to ask about the Easter eggs. The real Easter eggs are in the sound. Right from the Columbia logo, you are hearing audio Easter eggs that let you know you're in a Ghostbusters film. But Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the craziest thing about, oh yeah, also, we're also driving in this movie. So we had to figure out what does a proton beam do while you're driving? Oh, that's right. Right? Because you're you're not standing still. 
So yeah, now, the gunner seat was so cool, man. Now <laughs> we're adding so awesome. wind, and what happens to the proton beam and the way that it breaks? If you look at our proton beam when they're driving, it starts to wave more because now it's getting all this air pollution flying through it, and we <laughs> wanted to give it this sense of wave, and it slaps the ground when they drive because she's a girl, she's this kid, and she can't hold on to as much. So if you watch the movie carefully, you will notice that our proton beam is constantly slapping the ground every time they come around corners. That's wow. amazing. There so is a cool. shot. There's a shot of the, the of Ecto has a ghost uh, in the beam and a trap underneath it uh, as it's approaching a bridge. It's yeah. one of the most beautiful shots in the movie. Oh, oh my god! It's I'm awesome. so happy. That's one of the first. Yeah, it's one of the first images I thought of when I thought of this movie, and I was like, "This is a this is an image I know that we want." And we found a very specific road in Calgary that was we we found it specifically for that shot. We knew where the the sun was. It was gonna. It was framed exactly for us, so I'm glad it stayed with you. Oh, it belongs awesome. on a wall. Wow. Belongs on a wall. Awesome. Jason, I don't know how many podcasts you're doing, but you've never fit into a group more so than than this podcast. Like you're at home, man. Guys, home. you know, look, um, I, I, I spent my life looking for people who wanted to talk about movies as much as I did. I think every one of us is someone who in school was like, Why doesn't everyone want to talk about movies as much as I do? Why are they getting bored? And then, you know, here's the cool thing that happened the other night. I went to Comic Con and something hit me in the heart, which was it feels just like Sundance. Comic-Con and Sundance are the same thing. It's a collection of people who love movies as much as I do, and all they want to do is talk about film. And that was the moment I realized, oh, I can make Sundance movies and Comic-Con movies. Yeah, yeah. very that's true. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, Jason, without getting into spoilers, you guys bring back a lot of fan-favorite creatures and a lot of fan-favorite people. Um, one of the most iconic creatures that just in, in pop culture history and movie history is Slimer. And I was wondering if there was at any point a conversation about bringing Slimer back uh, or what the decision was to specifically not bring Slimer back. You know, this is a movie that takes place in the American West and Slimer lives in New York City. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes it's that sense. simple. Okay. Well, and to that end, to just sort of follow up on it, did, was there any a conversation with Rick Moranis in coming back? Because he's one of the only uh, few members that didn't return. This is a movie that takes place in the American West, and Rick Moranis <laughs> lives on the Upper West Side. <laughs> Very fair. There we go. So, wow, it's so simple. I, um, moving yeah, on. Tune my um, answer for everything moving on in. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ivan, uh, I, I need permission to geek out with you because um, when I was a kid playing Ghostbusters with my brother and my father, and like I had a proton pack, I mean, those movies were everything to me. Um, and... One of the things that I learned as an early age was I love magic. I love that filmmakers are magicians. And I would watch your films and I would watch films by James Cameron, whoever I was watching at the time. And I would just be in awe and wondering how they pulled things off practically. Um, and I, I know you've talked about this scene a million times, but I would love to just hear you talk about the egg scene in the first Ghostbusters and kind of your Everybody memory wants of to know about the egg. I get questions about the egg. Like it's the one that everyone <laughs> like, wants to know. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, just your your memory of how you filmed it. Yeah. Well, we had brilliant uh, practical effects guys. Uh, the main guy was a man named Chuck Gasper. He ran a big company that did film effects, but he'd never done a film like this. And um, I just, you know, we wrote this scene, and it just seemed like a really cool way to introduce Dana uh, to the movie to to audiences and. Um, so we had written out a scene, which is what's in the film, and 
I said, how can we do this so that it really works? We did a lot of stuff using compressed air. And so we had a compressed air tube at the bottom of these eggs in that carton. And that it would just, it would blow the um, egg out. And we made the actual countertop like a stove. Like they put elements underneath it, it was hot as hell. We had to be very careful that she wasn't going to touch it or anybody else would while we shot it. So just running camera, and it was great because she's right there. And she's, she's dealing with the eggs, and she's such a great actress. And she just does what comes naturally when an egg suddenly— first of all, the air, an air compression opened up the carton. You know, it goes pop, yeah. and then various eggs, and we had numbers on them. You know, I just conducted it like a, like an orchestra, and uh, it got popped. It would, the air, the uh, air pressure would make the egg fly, the yolk and stuff fly out. It would hit the hot, hot counter, and it would fry. What do you think makes Sigourney so good at being in a science fiction film and interacting with the unknown? Because when you meet her. She's so kind of sweet and light and delightful, but she's perfect in Ghostbusters. She's perfect in the Aliens films. Yeah. Uh, what is it about her that makes her so good at interacting with uh, the unknown? Well, I think she was, she's fearless. Uh, hmm. Well, you know the story of her coming to audition, uh, having just done, the only movie she had done that was uh, years of, a uh, year of living dangerously. And hmm. uh, so I knew her and, she shows up, um, and she says, you know, th there's a mistake in your script. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, I should be possessed. I should be like a dog. Um, and I can act like a dog. And then she literally climbed on my low coffee table and, you know, went on her hands and knees and took on this position, and she started howling. And I said, <laughs> Okay, this woman's the, definitely the part. Uh, and, uh, and she has a great idea. I remember calling up Harold uh, a moment after she left, and we had been figuring out what the hell's going on on the roof. You know, we wrote the script very quickly, and auditions were probably in July because we wrote the script in two weeks in June, and now wow. we were looking for whoever Dana was going to be. And... I called up Harold and I said, look, I had this actress, Sigourney Weaver. You may have seen her in your... And Alien and... Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think she had done you, Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah she had. She had? Yeah. Oh, hi. And uh, he said, oh, yeah. And I, she, I said, she had a real good idea. She said, she should be, she said that she should become a dog. And, um, <laughs> and we started thinking about that. And we started thinking that was a good idea. I mean, she didn't realize that she contributed. So only in the... Actually, in the last six months that I told her that she contributed the story. Um, oh, wow. This big story aspect, because we really didn't have the very last couple of reels in our heads. We knew they were going to get up on the thing and they were going to fight. The, we knew we had the Marshmallow Man, because that was in, in um, Dan's original treatment. Mm. Uh, but... Um, the, the idea of sort of the key master and the gatekeeper being those sort of dog-like creatures yeah. that sort of are beside her really came because of the, the concept of conversion that then gets continued in afterlife. 
Mm. Oh yeah, very much really so. Yeah. Very the much. eyes will forever freak me out. The eyes will always scare me. <laughs> the red eyes. Oh god. Well, for you, you know, speaking of, I have to say, I love how much each of you love each other's films. It's 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 obviously beyond a point of just father and son. It's just mutual respect as directors. I was wondering, Jason, if you could have directed any single scene from the original Ghostbusters, and Ivan, if you could have directed any moment from Afterlife, what's the moment you would have had the most fun Oh my God, directing? that's a great question. Um, it's hard, because honestly, when I think about the original, it's so perfect. I don't want to direct a scene, because like, I don't want to be the guy who screwed up one of the scenes in the original Ghostbusters, <laughs> but if I could have just chosen to relive one of the scenes and just be on set for them... Oh, man. I mean, like, I can't help it. There's, like, that moment where the four guys up on the rooftop pull the wands and step up to Gozer Ugh. just to watch the walk once. Yeah. Um, and hear Bill go, go get him, Ray. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, just to be there for that moment would be pretty extraordinary. I think uh, let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown is uh, one, of the most, <laughs> yeah. one of the most quotable lines in cinema. Um, I know we're getting close to running out of time. This might be my last one. So I even have to direct it at you because one of my most favorite, favorite visual gags uh, exists in Ghostbusters 2. And I had to know if it was scripted or how it came about. It's when the three men are in the, in the courtroom and they're fi firing up the proton packs and they sing Do, Re, Egon. <laughs> uh, Ramus is... Uh, facial expression you know when when they double take and he sings egon was that scripted was it something harold brought to the to the uh, scene it, wa it wasn't scripted originally it was really a discovery we had um on the set and a lot of good things happened in both of those movies and i worked with those guys three or four times so there was a comfort in our working together and and I think they, they both, they all came from Second City, and mm. they're taught to listen mm. and to respond honestly to what's coming at them, and keep it going. Never beat the last one, and never shut the scene down. Mm, um, right. And you know, coming up with, making it, giving opportunities for the talented people that you have around you. And we tried to bring that approach. I think I was innovative in terms of that usage because um, they, Second City never had a director involved. And I, th I thought it was important not to let actors just improvise. That they, The improvisation was an extraordinarily important tool, but was had to be focused on character and needs of the scene, you know, mm -hmm. structural needs. And so most of the improv is really focused on plot, on story, on character, and emotion, you know, and, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it was my job to wrangle that, mm. I figured, as a director, <laughs> and just keep them on point mm. and hold on to the good stuff. And I would often never say cut. I, I sort of long, and this was tough on a th with 35 millimeter film, because mm. you only have 10 minutes yeah. on one roll when you have to reload. Mm. And now there's anyway I'm I'm wondering, but the I think uh, I would I would talk to them during the take and I would say, okay, go back, go back, you know, ten seconds and just uh, come back, and I would push them all back physically, or so they could sort of replay, rewind their scene, 
Mm. Hold on to that line. Hold on to that line. But over here, just, and then I would just challenge it, particularly Bill, who was really up for coming up with that great new thing on a challenge because he hated having to do the same thing over <laughs> and over again. Mm. So just to spite everybody and because he had new people listening, he would sort of come up with stuff. Finally, it was our job in post-production to sort of link that together so that it felt it was part of one take and one that was the same scene that we were watching. Right. I love that. I love that joke. I believe we have one minute left, so I'm going to end on this. Uh, in the actual, in Afterlife and also Ghostbusters 2, there's a reference to Cannibal Girls. Obviously, uh, oh. <laughs> Mr. Reitman, that's which I, which I love. I noticed it, it. On, the, on, the, on the screen. Um, so I, my question was, Jason, for you uh, to include that as an Easter egg, which was really cool. And then Ivan, for you putting that in your own film um, in, in Ghostbusters 2, does that mean Ivan Reitman exists in the Ghostbusters universe? Oh, I love that. That's a great question. You're you're right. That's right. My dad is a character as himself. It should say Ivan Reitman plays himself in both films. <laughs> but, that, but that Easter egg specifically meant a lot, I would imagine, right, Jason? I mean, it meant a lot to me. I mean, I obviously, this is a love letter to my dad in every single way, and you can kind of feel it in every frame. It's a movie about parenting. It's about embracing your family. It also is a love letter to his career and, you know, this thing that he created that, look, it's the reason why we're here talking today. And uh, and I'm I'm honored that I could just be there for it. I could be present for it, you know. Uh, and it was terrifying to ever consider picking up this franchise. And mm -hmm. just in the way that my father gave me that final push when I learned to ride a bicycle. Uh, he literally gave me that final push and gave me the confidence to make this movie. Well, we cannot wait for <clears throat> for more fans to see it. I was able to sit in that Comic-Con audience and Wasn't that and watch insane? Them. It was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, to, to feel that energy. I can't imagine. I talked to Gail Keenan earlier this morning, yeah. and he was just saying... Not only to be able to work on something, but to be able to bring it to an audience like that, you know, and I'm so thrilled you guys have the Thanksgiving uh, slot because I really think like generations of audiences are going to come together and and go see it together. So um, we're all so excited for everybody to go yeah. see it. And we can't thank you guys enough for taking time to, to join us on the podcast. Thank you, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you both. This was Thanks, a pleasure. Guys. Appreciate it. We need to thank uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment for giving us time with the Reitmans and, of course, to Jason and to Ivan Reitman for taking the time to to join the podcast. So I, the, the funny story that I wanted to share with everybody is uh, we, we make this joke on the show a lot of sometimes you just have to ask, right? Like you, you can't be told no uh, unless you ask the question. And we had Jason Reitman uh, as a guest. He was going to be coming on the show and he was excited to talk to us. And uh, the, the as we were doing the TV rotations the day before, we all ended our rooms, Kevin and Jake and myself, of saying to Jason, like, oh, we have a podcast. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. And he was very much like, cool. I can't wait to can't wait to talk to you guys. And then I it was Kevin. I want to give Kevin credit, who was kind of just like, hey, would Ivan join us, too? And I was like, I don't think so, but I'll ask. And so I texted over to our Sony rep and uh, they got back to me and they were like, uh, let me see. And then the, it was a very simple thing of they just moved us up an hour. They were like, hey, can you guys start an hour earlier? And if you can, then Ivan can do it. And we were like, absolutely, yeah, absolutely we can start yeah. an hour earlier. And he ended up being fantastic, as you yeah. guys And also, in you know, in, in situations like, you know, like, a yeah, all you have to do is ask. Also, be prepared in case they say yes, because that was very much a situation where we all could have been like, oh, shit, now we have Ivan and have no questions for Ivan. Sure. Um, so, you know, if you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're hoping someone says yes, 
you know, maybe mentally prepare for them to say no, but also be prepared for them to say yes, too, because then you got to you got to step up. Also, yeah. we're going through this highly unusual period right now where we're getting people about the projects that we would really like to talk yeah. to them about. And I'm <laughs> yeah, going to throw yeah, yeah. if you want to go to YouTube, you can check out my Sylvester Stallone interview uh, on behalf. Dude, of Dude, I, I really I, I, I want to give you props for that, because that is such a phenomenal no, it does, interview doesn't doesn't even sound it's, it's such a phenomenal conversation. It's a conversation between someone who clearly knows like the film he's talking about, the series that he's talking about, the character that he's talking about. And he's talking about with the person who created it, who knows <laughs> yeah. no better than anyone else on the planet. Sure. Uh, the conversations that you had with them at any time it, it, you bring up this, the whole like salt mines thing. I just geek out because I think that's brilliant. But it was such a great conversation. And I can't tell you, I watched it on my phone and how I just audibly would just go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's cool. So it's just, if you haven't seen it, it's a I, I, I both was in awe and then also supremely jealous because I've never talked to Stallone before. Well, but also and think of this, like you guys got Daniel Craig like earlier this year for James Bond, right? Like it's you're getting him for a Bond movie. Sure. And at some point later this year, uh, we hope we're going to be able to talk to Keanu Reeves about. The Matrix, mm-hmm. you know, like we're yeah. not fitting in Matrix yeah. questions. We're not squeezing we're in. We're not talking squeezing to Neo. in. Yeah. And so yeah. then to get Ivan Reitman and to only be able to ask him Ghostbusters questions is uh, is really, really something else. Sometimes so. I really do feel like that Chris Farley SNL sketch. It's yeah. like, <laughs> remember that time with the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love when we get those interviews, too. And they talk about like the happy accidents. Yeah. You know, like stuff that that we think is so choreographed or so planned. And of course, I can't think of an example of one right now. But like sure. we talked to several directors who have come up and said like, oh, you won't believe like that. That just happened that way on the day kind of thing. And Not to keep plugging our King Richard interview, um, yeah. but he discussed one there where he was talking about they showed up to this set and the only place they hadn't set up was the kitchen. Yeah. And uh, and but they kept the the actors kept being attracted to the kitchen and wanting to do the scene there and ended up being you guys called it like one of the best, if not the best scene in the movie. Right. And they were told, don't shoot anything in the kitchen. You can shoot anywhere else. And they were like, well, let's just make it work and, and do it. And they end up loving it. Because he literally says, like, I can't go tell Will Smith to come out of the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will Smith likes it in here. I'm yeah. going to have to stay here and figure out a way to shoot it. Will Smith it, so. is, you know, we, we've all met him before. Um, he's genuinely, like, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in this business. But he's also very much a guy that, yeah, like, you don't tell Will Smith no. Right. Which earned that? that. I think he's earned that. Yeah, he's all oh, absolutely I saw Independence Day. He's earned oh, it. Oh, I, I, honestly, I really do want to live in a world where Will Smith has an Oscar. He also has that show called Welcome to Earth, the National Geographic. And someone made the title. greatest joke. Someone made the greatest joke of why isn't it called Welcome to Earth? <laughs> like E-A-R-F-S. Oh, I thought it was going to be... punch, but every, but every time you say it, you got to punch somebody. <laughs> what's, the, what's the after show called? The talk show after the show. Oh, no, what? After Earth? A- after Earth. But Jaden's on it, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, hot take: uh, I actually like that movie. Do you really? Hey, you're the guy. I do. Yeah, yeah. I am, the I am the guy. Should have told him night that. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, all right, so let's get to uh, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, which is... Uh... <laughs> If you're watching the YouTube channel, uh, huge in my world. If you listen to any episodes of this podcast, it is yeah. huge, if you, if huge. If you've in ever my heard world. of Sean O'Connell, <laughs> yes. the name Sean O'Connell has come across your screen before. It's probably related this to Spider Man. This is a big one. Um, and it's 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 big for this reason. So I'll touch on this. Obviously, they did not show uh the two characters that every that everybody believes uh are in the film, which is Toby Maguire and, and Andrew Garfield. And um while I believe that both of them are definitely in the show uh, or in the movie. Um, I'm glad they didn't show them in the trailer. Uh, like the Ghostbusters trailer. Yeah, which, you know, kind of is is giving mean, up on that. You mean Toby Maguire was in the Ghostbusters trailer? Weirdly <laughs> enough, yes. I mean, it is Sony and, you know, they're trying to integrate. Um, They are able to tease the idea of the multiverse by by using the villains. You know, clearly you're getting the concept when you see Alfred Molina and you see... Uh, Jamie Foxx, you know that they're villains from the other franchises. I don't think they're going to go this far and not bring in those two. Um, and in fact, one of the fun stories that took place after the fact was um, fans pointing at a specific scene which shows Tom Holland's Spider-Man swinging at three villains um, and two of them are going anywhere but near Tom <laughs> and makes me think that they're going after the other two. Um, and, and then there's even a scene the... too. Are you talking about the arm? Well, no, I was gonna say the clip. There's in that in that moment that you're talking about um, yeah. that features, I believe, Lizard, Sandman, and maybe Electro. Electro. Yeah, I don't know if they said if it's like the Brazilian trailer, like where the shot goes like an extra like three seconds, but all of a sudden Lizard, like his head jerks like it's being punched. <laughs> Therefore, yes. there should be someone there punching him. So clearly, yeah. someone's yes. like he's not just doing that. Like you know, it, clearly <laughs> someone's there. It is a mid-air. But it also blows uh, my mind that they can do that. Picture. That they can just like, oh, we're gonna just take you out of this scene. Or just, well, like, they put I it in there. I mean, that's uh, yeah, CGI I guess so. Yeah, you just, yeah, I you guess just that's hide that layer. You know, yeah, hide that layer. It's <laughs> movies built on clicks, I guess. Yeah. And honestly, one of the the earliest examples of that is the Civil War um, shot of the two teams running at each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the earliest trailers where they showed Team Iron Man running at Team Cap. Spider-Man was not standing next to Black Widow, you know, oh. when, when they're supposed to be running. And Ooh, so you're making me want to watch that movie. Again. Once you knew he was in in the lineup, then they 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 insert him back in. My my takeaway from the trailer, though, I think is I, I'm curious how how big is it going to be that 
from what they're not showing us. Like, I think we're very hyper-focused on Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's that shot where they're on the Statue of Liberty, and then, like, there's, like, this big rift, this big purple rift. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm reading too much into color theory here, but Mm -hmm. red plus blue equals purple. Um, And I wonder, one, on the villain standpoint, three or four villains that we've seen before doesn't feel like every universe is invading us. It feels like three or four villains are here. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious... From the standpoint of like, there's a shot of the Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, and then there's that quick one where he flies through it is in a different suit. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if that's a different suit, the same guy, or if that's, you know, the Green Goblin from The Amazing Spider-Man, or if that's something totally different and we're going to get they a don. whole... Yeah, like, are we going to get a whole suite of characters that haven't actually been on screen because it's every universe invading? And oh, that's, that's interesting. And, and that's, the theory being that, like, we've only seen... Three universes. They're focusing on these trailers on uh, the ones that we know. What if it's a universe where yeah. Tom Hanks is Green Goblin? But I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it's going to dip into really the nice. into the Spider Verse uh, sort of method of like pulling it's in all these all these different things. My point to the color theory of that purple rift is: I wonder if instead of that being villains, if that's a bunch of Spider Man. So we're talking about Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. But what if we get a bunch of masked? What if we get Spider-Man a Jake Gyllenhaal Spider Man? Like Miles Morales. Oh, we get Miles, like, yeah. wow. Or Spider similar Pig. to. I, I mentioned Spider Verse because of the Oscar Isaac cameo, where it's, sure. you know, it's a Spider Man that we've never seen before necessarily, or people sure. are related to, but are there going to be so many people on screen that are like, oh, that's that weird comic, and and that's something that looks totally original, and this is something like, are we going to see, you know, 20 different people? That feels like the multiverse crashing. Six, sure. when you talk about the multiverse crashing and him saying. Yeah. They're all invading us. Six and three Spider-Man and like six villains feels small potatoes. But I I do. Yes, that makes sense. And that the end of that trailer, if that's your stinger, right, then you're right that that should be indicating something else. Like if Doctor Strange is saying they're 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 coming through and I can't stop them. Like, who is they? Right. Yeah. Like, what what is he talking? That's such a great point. Yeah. And it could be, you know, he has the Peter Parker or Tom Holland's Peter Parker has the line, I can't save them all. But that is that big moment where but all Peter Parkers can save everyone. Like, you know, he's able to save everyone because there are 50 of them. Oh, God, if that happens, dude, you have not. There's so already so many uh, potential moments that are going to happen in this live action version that are just going to destroy. Yeah, me. that Here's, is something I, I will like say, that. I, I hope they don't pull a Rise of Skywalker and just give us voices. Oh, that'd be so disappointing. Uh, and, and you're talking as someone though. who likes Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even I yeah. was looking forward to seeing did, like Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan and right. Did the right, uh, right. The, the Defoe thing in the trailer give you that sense? Because it gave me that sense of like, but we is, saw. But we is saw Defoe the, in it, or is a costume in it, and Defoe has a voice? In I it? bet Defoe is in it. I think I hope he so. is. I, I but my how great is it? Like uh, we aired a, the clip that we aired on on our show this morning was the clip with his little mini monologue about about choice and wanting everything and it's just mm. the the graveliness of his oh it just has one of the great voices it's just oh such a great actor it's tremendous and so i've heard two theories if you guys want to hear them do you want to sure. hear them yeah um one is there's a shot from the trailer of um alfred molina's arms uh sort of taking on the red they're sort of absorbing the red and the yellow and, and almost building into something bigger and I, I've been hearing along the lines of there are rumors that that uh, Ock is going to essentially destroy the Iron Spider suit 
um, which is going to what's going to lead to Tom Holland having to put together the integrated suit that he's wearing during the Statue of Liberty, which is an, some elements of this of the gold from the Iron Spider, but then other fabric elements. Is that the, the so, golden like black? spells, apparently, right? Yeah, uh, there was like uh, the rings. I think Doctor Strange does give him something to use in order Some to be able to enchanted. go around and round up the villains. That's sick. Um, I'm sorry, it just sounds like D and D comic book. Madness. But I love it. A friend of mine who said that when Ock absorbs the Stark tech, that it might actually disrupt the inhibitor that yeah. is preventing him from controlling the arms. To me, it looked and, like when he's in that cell, sorry, when he's in that yeah. cell, I thought he had like Spider-Man, Iron Man gadgetry um, around, though. It looked like they were like closing the claws and were like yeah. cap had him captured. Like it looked like it had uh, specifically was like handcuffing him. I don't know how you would how you would describe right. that, but it looked like it wasn't a part of the suit. It looked like it was containing him. But if it's also um, disrupting the inhibitor that's preventing him from con- controlling the arms, he could be good. Like yeah. He could be helpful to Tom Holland's Spider-Man because there are not elements in the trailer outside of the bridge fight when they first fight where he's fighting Dr. Octopus anymore. Right. Yeah. So Dr. Octopus might be doing that. There's also still there's a shot of <clears throat> Tom Holland, which hasn't shown up anywhere else, that takes place later in the snow <clears throat> where he's walking down a street and Zendaya is in a um, store and it's theoretically oh, he's yeah. going to the store to... Wait, this a is a, a behind-the-scenes production shot or in, in the trailer? Yes. No, no, no. It has not shown up in any of okay. the trailers. Yeah. And it was This was like was two years ago. Didn't this come out? Yeah, I, was saying, I seem to location. remember seeing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feeds into the uh, the uh, an ending bit of the movie that I've heard, which is that they are eventually going to get around to finally succeeding in conducting the spell the right way. And that by the uh. end of this movie, no one's going to remember that he is Spider-Man. And so he'll be free to operate uh, freely without all of this stuff. Does that bum you out? No, that's, I want that to happen. I think it would be tremendous if he had a three film arc where he got to interact with all the Marvel characters and, and do all the MCU stuff we got to see him do. But then by the end of it, it's almost like Spider-Man begins, right? (laughs) Like Uh, now he's Spider-Man. No one knows. And he doesn't even tell whoever the Avengers are. Correct. Yeah. It's just him with the secret identity again. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Does, okay. But I think okay. my point being, I think the movie still has a lot of really big swings to make. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Like I said, I think that if it's with how much they're giving us, I don't feel like, and maybe that's just because so much of it has been discussed and spoiled and maybe that's our fault. Sure. Um, the audience, I mean, not us specifically, but Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield kind of feel like small reveals in the grand sure. scheme of like what you can do with a multiverse. Uh, all right. Um, there's an animated film coming to Netflix uh, this week called Extinct, which none of us have seen. I don't believe. Didn't know but, it um, existed until today. Okay. Being honest. Joaquin Phoenix is in a black and white film directed by uh, Mike Mills, and it's called Come On, Come On. I'm going to uh, briefly talk about this one. Not a full on review, but a reaction. Uh, I was able to see it at the Savannah Film Festival, and I was highly, highly anticipating it because of its subject matter. Uh, Joaquin plays uh, uh, the brother, uh, a brother or an uncle uh, who is recruited by his sister to to basically babysit her kid because of a medical emergency that she has to go attend to, not to herself, but to her ex-husband. And the longer that Joaquin is with the kid, he has to also juggle his work responsibilities and also deal with this um, precocious uh, child. And it is... um, I really disliked it, um, and I I thought it was going to be incredibly sweet, 
and Joaquin would figure out, you know, things about himself and the kid. But it's one of those, um, and I'm going to sound like an old man for saying this, but like these millennial um, tell me how you feel about everything type things where uh, you can't discipline the kid. You He has to like... The boy, when whenever he has um, a, a rough spell, he'll he'll come uh, pretend to be uh, an orphan from the from like the eighteen uh, hundreds, and he'll say to his mom like, "So wait, is he uh, is is he raising Daniel Day Lewis like the greatest actor bit, of all time? It's, it's a little bit like pint sized Daniel Day Lewis, and so Joaquin will look at the kid and they'll be like." well, this is dumb. Like, I'm not going to play along with this. And the mom's like, no, 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 you have to, because if you don't, it's really going to upset his, uh, his internal balance. And, you know, they are, it's, it is so, Northern so California. So Joaquin's character is conflicting with what you're conflicting with though, right? <sighs> not Good as idea. much. Like, yes, at first he's like, this is a little bit weird, but then he very quickly turns over around to okay. like, well, this is just parenting, I guess. And so they go with it. And by the end of it, he's fully immersed in it. Of just like, can we have a conversation now? Is it okay if we talk about our feelings? I would like you to know what I was thinking at this particular time, and I was just like, "Fuck this!" So it didn't. It didn't. It sounds interesting. Work sounds for interesting. me. Um, and I, I, I like Joaquin. He's good in it. Uh, oh, this is just to give you an idea. Joaquin's job um, is that he goes around interviewing children uh, for a documentary series. Uh, about <laughs> about their feelings. How do you feel about potentially having to one day become uh, a leader? What are some of your concerns about what politicians are doing uh, for you for your future? And he'll jet off to like New York or uh, New Orleans because they got like access to a fresh crop of kids. And so he just picks up and goes. And I'm like, I'm not quite sure that the guy who's interviewing children for some PBS documentary <laughs> has the resources to just shoot off. But that's not important to the movie. The movie yeah. just wants you to buy into their into their relationship, which which I did not. So it is called Come On, Come On and uh, check it out if you like Mike Mills. Um, I did get to see Tick, Tick, Boom, oh, which I'm is so excited to see it. at the moment uh, it shot up to my number one movie of the year. Do you think it's going to stick Crazy. there? I don't know. Um, here's here's how I felt. Wait, watching so wait, t- are t- your t- number boom. one and number two movies of the year going to star Andrew Garfield? Possible. Yes, it's very possible. Interesting. Um, you loved uh, you loved Tammy Faye that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I had just seen Belfast. You guys know how much I love Belfast. Belfast was a five star film. For Would me. you say you have an everlasting love for Belfast? I without a doubt I do. Uh, but. This movie is so good. Um, and That's Andrew Garfield hear, is so talented that it, it's one of those films where it made me angry watching it because <laughs> he shouldn't be that talented. Right. Like he's already incredibly handsome and incredibly charming. And then he starts singing from the get go, like in one of the opening moments. And I was just like, man, fuck you. Honestly, like enough. Is and there he's Spider-Man. You can't do any, any Spider-Man. Um, so I, I knew nothing about the show. I knew, I know Jonathan Larson wrote, uh, rent and, and the music is very rent ish in that it's It's a lot of driving sort of rock opera, um, and very smart lyrics, very clever lyrics, but you learn over the course of this movie that he was, um, working on a, uh, a, a musical production for several years and it's called, I want to say Suspiria, but it's not Suspiria. Um, but it's something like that. And it was a high concept, like 
science fiction um, musical. And he is trying to get it uh, in front of the right people. And he has an agent who doesn't necessarily help him. And it's all about him sort of putting that show together. And after uh, he is able to get through that and it doesn't catch on, someone turns around to him and says, essentially, for the next one, uh, you should write something that's really personal to you. And that's when he stops first because first he's been immersed in just making this happen. And that's when he stops and looks around how many of his friends are being affected by the AIDS crisis, essentially. So he starts to write the music for Rent. Um, but in between this, what is the name? I wish I knew the name of the musical. It's not Suspiria. Maybe Gabe can look it up while I'm talking about this. In between writing that and Rent, he wrote Tick, Tick, Boom, which is about him struggling to write a musical. And that's what this that's what this musical is. Um, but it says so many brilliant, brilliant things about um, creative people and how at, at almost every given moment they are looking at uh, the normal nine to five life and thinking like, why am I not doing that? I'm an idiot. You know, uh, why am I struggling to pay the rent? Why am I living in a in an apartment with five other people uh, to, to step over them and to take a shower because our tub is in the kitchen? You know, why can't I just be a normal person, but they're not capable of doing that. And there's so many brilliant ways that it goes through that push and pull of like, should I stop? Should I keep going? There are times when uh, Bradley Whitford in this um, oh, Tick, Tick, Boom plays Stephen Sondheim. And apparently Sondheim oh, wow. loved uh, Jonathan Larson uh, and ran into him at, at earlier workshops and really was encouraging him along. And after the the play that he put on that, that kind of, did well, but not well enough to get across. Like uh, Sondheim was the one who sent him a, a, a voicemail message and was like, keep going. You know, you definitely have it. Don't give up sort of thing. And Garfield just plays it beautifully. And Lin-Manuel Miranda as a first time director is incredibly creative. Um, I was going to ask you how his direction is. It is, it is the best of the musicals that we've seen this year. Obviously we wow. still have West Side Story coming um, but it's it's a Broadway musical or an off-Broadway musical uh, adaptation done by someone in Lin-Manuel Miranda who knows every fiber of of Broadway musicals and how they should be told. And so when he takes you on stage, it's from the perfect angles. When he takes you off stage and into the real world, but still uses the music, it's the perfect angles. The cast is incredible. Garfield, it's honestly, he's never been better. And it's it's just the, the more we watched it, like with each every time another number ended, Michelle and I looked at each other like are you f honestly, we were both of us were just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this can't be this good. And you and saw it, it at just, home to watch it at home. And that's hate, incredible. Hate that I watched it at home. Um, and, you know, me, I'm old. Like I start something at eight it's and true. like a half it's an true. hour into You're it. Old. I'm like, maybe I'll wait, you know, and finish it tomorrow. And we started it pretty late and couldn't turn it off. Wow. And it was the night that you and I had the Monday night football game too. And I wanted to just, I wanted nothing more than to switch over and watch the Monday night football game, but I couldn't turn it off. I was enamored. I was enamored with it. So it's, see, see you don't even deserve to have won. It's terrific. It's terrific. So um, everyone. I couldn't, I couldn't find the musical you were, or I might have, is it called yeah. the way we go? No, it's, okay. it's like a one word S title. That he so, that he actually wrote that John Larson actually wrote between he wrote it and he never got it he got it like staged once or twice but it oh, never took okay. off. Okay, that's why I'm having a hard time finding it. <laughs> I'll look it up. Uh, Jakey, start talking about King Superbia? Richard. Superbia. That's probably it. Superbia. Yes. Okay. And it's great. The music in it is really great, but it's and it's very is, very uh, futuristic dystopian original music. Superbia. 
Yes, that is definitely it. And it it predicted back in the 1980s or 90s, I forget the year that this took place, um, that eventually we would be a society that was um, completely obsessed with our look and how we were portrayed uh, via technology. It essentially like predicted social media ahead of time. And the feedback he got from everybody was like, uh, the music's great, the lyrics are great, but no... No tourists from the Midwest are going to come and want to pay $50 to watch your musical about uh, robots and laser guns. And he's like, it's not about that. It's, yeah. it's about it's about us as a culture and how we look at ourselves. And people weren't getting it. So but it's it's oh, it's delightful. It's delightful. The music is incredible. And uh, and again, Garfield is so talented. He makes me he makes me angry. So uh, King Richard, Jakey, where are you at with King Richard? Uh, really, honestly, really loved King Richard. Um, I think I approached it like many people did, which is why are we telling the story of Venus and Serena through the eyes of their father? Mm-hmm. But I will say I was um, really surprised to see how big of a role he played, like to the point where he kind of had their future, their plan it sounds sounds harsh to say decided for them, but since before they were born, he had decided the, the at least the the degree of success that they mm-hmm. were going to have, um, and and not just oh I want them to do well in this, and then they turned out to be the best. He said no, they're they're going to be the best, and then they were the best. Um, it's a truly a phenomenal story. I thought Will Smith's performance. He Will Smith is one of those guys that falls into that category of he's just so famous, and we know him so much outside of his roles that it's hard for him, for him to make us forget who he is. Um, I thought he did it. I, to me, he completely disappeared into the role of, of Richard Williams. I put um, it on a pursuit of happiness level. Yes. Yes. Where I, I really saw that father. Yeah. You know, I know it yeah. was Will Smith, but I really saw the father. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I think this is going to be a really crowd pleasing film. I could see it doing really well with people to see it. I could see it being one of those like a plus cinema score ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing that really kind of surprised me is I, I just didn't know how far into the story we were going to go. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and I didn't know what the runtime of the film was. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's like 220, yeah, which it, is pretty heavy for a, for a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of moments where I just sort of thought, okay, like this is, this is where it's, because obviously like we're not, it's not going to go into their adulthood. So it's like, okay, at what point of their childhood do you stop? Right. And I just and so every there would be these beats where I would go, OK, here we go. This is it. This is the end of the movie. I've been here for, <laughs> you know, hour 40, been here, hour 50. And I go, yeah. oh, no, there was even a moment before the big final tennis match starts. Right. That right. In my mind, I thought, oh, I bet it the movie stops right before the tennis match starts. OK. And then they start playing tennis. I was like, oh, no. OK, we're just going <laughs> to gonna watch them play tennis. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I think maybe it, it wasn't so much a, that was like that it was detrimental, but it was just sort of like, how long is this movie? It felt like to the point where I was like, this movie's longer than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I think if I knew maybe going in or if I were to rewatch it again, it wouldn't be it would be a big deal. Um, but it kind of threw me off as to because normally movies like that are not that long. But I thought the story was tremendous. I thought the two um, Sanaya. And uh, and Demi Singleton were absolutely incredible as Venus and Serena. Um, they they are incredible. Uh, Will Smith is is unbelievable. A lot of uh, supporting cast members. Uh, I'm blanking on the the woman's name who plays their mother, but her role is just as important, if not more so, than Richards. And her performance was incredible. I wouldn't be surprised if she got an Oscar nomination. Is it Anjanu uh, uh, Yes, Ellis? yes, she was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really, really was very, very pleasantly surprised with this film. 
There's a terrific relationship between the girls. Uh, yeah. That's just a sisterly relationship yeah. amongst all the Williams sisters, and, which yeah. I, and I know that uh, Ronaldo said is, was super important for them to yeah. get right on camera. Um, and one of the most fascinating aspects of this movie is how much it doesn't focus. It, it's Venus's story, essentially. Um, and it very easily could have been Serena's sure. story. And there's a moment towards the end where mm -hmm. the where Richard even says to her, um, I know this has been tough, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and it's been a lot of Venus, but your turn is coming. And yeah. and it it's not like they were saying, like, King Richard, too. There could be. They're like not there, saying that there will be Sean, be. please. There, it would be called King Richard II. The second. The yeah. second. Oh my god! Yes! <laughs> yeah, you could easily do that. Wow. Um, but but in that a way, in the context of this movie, it was also very effective to see the position that Serena was put into of having to just because her sister was older, was gonna go through it first. And you know, there it does the typical biopic things at the end with the title cards of just like, here's what they went on to accomplish. Yeah. And you were like, and then Serena became the, the Which best I love, player by the way. I love that. in the world. Yeah. Oh, they're yes. great. Yeah. Yeah. It puts, they're it puts the whole movie in, into context, into perspective. Yeah. Well, and, you know, then it does the footage. You know, it has mm -hmm. actual footage of stuff yeah. that was shot and you realize just how accurate yeah. all of it is. The word you hit that was totally correct is crowd pleaser. Like, it's, I just think people are going to go check this movie out and, and really, really dig it. And yeah. so... Um, we this is a movie I'm it. concerned. I really... My biggest concern about this movie is that I think this could very much be a movie that is impacted by HBO Max. Because I could see a lot of people yeah. saying, well, you know, like a lot of people, you know, like with Ghostbusters, they don't have a choice. But with people at home, they might go, well, it's on HBO Max, so we don't really need to go out and see it in theaters. Sure, sure. But this is the kind of movie you would say is more important that people see it than that they see it on the biggest screen possible, right? I think yeah. Warner Brothers would disagree. It's a, Well, it's an awards play. Like if yeah. it's around right. for a while and it does OK in that aspect, then I think that that's that would be OK. Because they're going to get that Beyonce original song, which is playing over the credits. That's getting an oh, Oscar. Well. Yeah, yeah. She's got a song at the end. And, uh, and Smith, as far as we know, is going to uh, be. So uh, I know we're talking Oscars for the uh, upcoming bonus episode, but do premium? we want to call... Uh, uh, yeah, premium. Um, do we want to call Will Smith for, for a Best Actor nomination? I'd say that's pretty safe. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think I'd so. say it's a solid, solid. I would say he and Cumberbatch. And... Uh, for his role in Spider-Man No Way Home. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, really, you're really, yeah. Uh, and Garfield uh, and Garfield. I, those, those would be my three at the moment right now. I'd have to think about what else is kind of out there, but those would be the big three. Do you know how, um, the, you know how they're pushing um, Belfast? Are they pushing just, are they pushing the kid for actor and, and Jamie for um, supporting? Do not know. Was, was that the film that you called out Sean for the SAG? You thought the ensemble should? No, Gucci. I said Gucci. Gucci that's oh, does driver get in is a good, I don't know. I think I in think a lesser driver year, maybe? Is the, yeah, I think Driver's the least showy of them all. Yeah. I think it's Leto and Gaga. Yeah. But and Driver's probably Pacino. And Pacino. I love oh, this Pacino resurgence. Pacino's so good. He's so good in it. Yeah. Oh, he's unbelievable. He's effortlessly good. But we're not talking he's about Gucci. Pacino. He's Pacino. Oh, my God. Uh, Did you guys see that red carpet clip of... Uh, and also, whoever shouted that... I guess they were taking photos of the cast and whatever person shouted this like oh my god who are you someone like they're all do you know you know it's the bright flashes and all that sort of stuff all the yeah. and pacino has the sunglasses on he's pacino and someone said like hey al take your sunglasses off and like he he does oblige and takes it but it clearly like all the flashes are hurting his eyes yeah yeah 
And Lady Gaga goes, don't ask him to take it. It's, uh, he's Al Pacino. <laughs> and, everyone, and then everyone was kind of like, yeah, but I was just like, who, who yells at Al Pacino? Hey, take your glasses off. Like, right, right, let right, the right, man right. do what he wants. He's Al Pacino. Good point. Um, Gabriel, start us off with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Where are you at with the... Uh, oh, yes, Gabe gets to do this. I'm so excited. Yeah, I did see this one. I yeah. did see this one. I really, really enjoyed it. I will give some context for my where I fall on the Ghostbusters fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've always enjoyed Ghostbusters. I watched them a handful of times when I was a kid, but I never fell in love with them with uh, in the way that a lot of people do. Uh, there's something about the tone of it. Uh, there's just something about it that I never I never fell in love with. It's not something that I look back with like a ton of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I don't ever really go back and rewatch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed them. Uh, but there's always been something about the tone or, or the world that like off-putting might not be the right word for it, but I just, it, it never sunk in. It never mm-hmm. became like a, it, that feels like for a that's lot of people, that's like a comfort movie. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a thing that they loved so much when they were younger that they, they go back to. I never hit that wavelength for it. With that said, I really, I think that's why I don't, I wouldn't say I love this movie, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I think that Ghost, Ghostbusters fans will like it. The first half of it to like two first two acts of it, I I really dug because of the Amblin nature of it. It starts mm-hmm. out like um, a 2021 style, you know, uh, uh, visually 2021 Amblin picture uh, has so. that feel. I felt that immediately with the way that the kids discover the things and um, the way everything kind of unfolds feels like an Amblin film. And any time that tone hits, I'm like. That's that's something that I love that hits yeah. me on a deep level. So the mm-hmm. first you know couple acts um, really sang for me, and then the, thir- the third act becomes Ghostbusters. The third act becomes this is the Ghostbusters you know and love, big practical sets, big I believe practical monsters um, when mm-hmm. they can. At mm-hmm. least they, at least I bought that sure. they seem to be. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in, in the for a good portion of like the Walmart scene, which I hate the Walmart the scene and, and the Walmart yeah, scene, but. yeah. There's I mean, obviously the 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 ghosts you see in the trailer and stuff are, are CGI, but there there's a lot of big practical things that look like big styrofoam '80s sets. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is cool, which I enjoyed, but again, it's it's that's the thing that I go, oh, this is fun, this is this tone, but it's not something that hits me in the way that like Amblin sure. does. So I I didn't fall in love with it, um, but I love parts about it. Um, um, you you are so right. There is a definitive you can point at the line where yeah. it shifts away from There's, Jason Reitman was making his take on a Ghostbusters movie to right. now, now I'm making movie. a Ghostbusters. Yes, you can definitely th- see that, which I don't think was a bad choice. I honestly I think it's I think that if you love I, maybe you guys will speak to this. I think if you love Ghostbusters, I think that could really work where it gets you mm-hmm. in with the more modern feel at the start. And it gets you in with the tried and true Amblin, you know, technique. And then it delivers, I think, on the big moments that it needs to at the end of being a Ghostbusters movie, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what Ghostbusters fans have always wanted. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't I, I again, I, I don't I don't criticize that approach at all. I don't think Makita um, Grace is. I mean, what are we witnessing? She is <laughs> so good. It's it's not just that she it's not just that oh, this is a great character and she's great. And, you know, she's like this young kid actress. And it's like sometimes kids, um, they're adorable and they play this adorable part and it and it all works. She is making choices. Like mm-hmm. you are seeing her make choices as a performer that you, yeah. you don't get from, you know, every actor at any level. And the fact that she took this character who could very easily be a stereotypical nerdy 
kind of throwaway character, not throwaway, but you kind of go like, oh, okay, I see the, I see this sort of the things you're filling in here, the way you're coloring in the lines. And yeah, she yeah. makes some incredibly, and, and to give Jason Reitman credit as well as, as, as the guy directing her, um, incredibly fresh choices and interesting decisions and, and feels like a unique character. Doesn't just feel like a, a stereotypical kind of nerd. And she gives some of the best lines in the whole. Here's movie. the She's thing. Fantastic. She effortlessly holds her own opposite Paul Rudd. Like, oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's not easy to do. Right. Like that's, they make each other funnier. She's so good. And so she was, she was a standout for me of, um, she always is. I feel like every time I, it's, it's kind of insane to see the way that she's progressed and, and all the things that she's been able to be a part of. Um, and in this, I, I just, I was just blown away by, by how great she was because she does have to carry so much of, there are so many scenes that are about her, mm-hmm. about her character sort of interacting with the story of the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, and she nails it. So Jakey, where are you at? Uh, yeah. So I, I will say I was born in the late eighties. Therefore I was not really around when like the Ghostbusters mania was happening for me growing up. I had, I had the movies on VHS and loved the movies, but they were kind of, you know, when you're a kid and a movie came out 10 years before, like, you know, before you're watching it, it's an old movie. Like goes to me, Ghostbusters was always like an old movie, even though like it came out four years before I was born. Um, but that being said, I still loved it. You know, as a kid, I, I, you know, I had toys and I, you know, I did the whole deal. Um, I very much love this film. Um, the, the first two acts, I will, I will say, I think we all sort of agree that it, it shit, there is a moment where it shifts the first 100%. two acts. I, there, I thought like, is this going to be, is this like a top 10 of the year movie for me? Yeah. Like, it, like I just like, and you absolutely nailed it in that, the, the whole Amblin touch, uh, I'm a sucker for films under that Amblin umbrella that feel like they're under that Amblin umbrella. Um, the third act, it gets, it just it's 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 right man just shoving all of his chips in and going okay let's just let's go you want to get nuts let's get nuts um <laughs> and, and 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 a lot of it worked for me i will say like you know it, i don't think it was as much of a step down for me as it was for you guys and then when it hits sort of the 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 emotional nostalgia beats whenever those moment whenever the the players you want to see come up to bat uh it it really it really worked for me there was a um a moment where I think I audibly let out like, like a, ah, like, and just like, got the, I mean, the tears came It everything about the, the, I guess the end of the final act really worked for me. Okay. Um, it just, you know, they it, it, call it cheap or whatever you want, but I know people love to knock like nostalgia, but you know, you, 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 you do, there's a lot of it where a lot of the same reason that, you know, like rise of Skywalker worked for me a lot. Like, is it fan yeah. service? Absolutely, but I'm a fan, and um, and and everything yeah. that that he did worked for me. I think people knock that because that's like the business model of Disney, and so maybe it's oversaturated. But nostalgia is a feeling, you know. Yeah. Nostalgia is an emotion. It's just like yeah. anything else. It's all about manipulating your yeah. emotions. So I don't think it's a um, invalid. Sure. The, the, but, only, uh, I, the, the the danger of nostalgia, and and longtime listener of the show Chase and my buddies brought this up. And what's funny is that McKenna Grace brought this up in uh, in our interview because I asked them. I asked McKenna Grace was paired with Finn Wolfhard. And I said, you know, this is a big deal for someone like me who grew up watching these movies. And now it's all kind of coming back. And so there's a lot of stuff that, that I grew up with. that's coming back. And I asked them, I said, what, what did you guys grow up with that you think might come back in 30 years? And they said, we got to be honest with you. Like everything that's 
coming out when we're kids is all nostalgia based from basically yeah. your generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She right. was like, you know, she was like, you know, basically they, they implied like you had Jurassic Park and you had Ghostbusters and you had Star Wars and all that, you know, and all that's coming back for you and Grace. She goes like, and I think she, what did she say? Like, like, what am I going to have in 30 years? Like the cast of Lady Bird gets back together. She's like, I don't really have. <laughs> Sounds pretty great. And I was though. like, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> a great cast. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But that, that is an interesting point, isn't it? Like what, what does this generation like if we're if we're Fortnite. taking advantage of the Fortnite, I don't know what that means. How many Oscars? How many Oscars is the movie gonna win that star McKenna Grace and uh, uh, Jacob Tremblay in twenty years? Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, and we true. and we get him for this big Oscar winning role when he's like like later in his career on our podcast, and we go like, like so will you finally tell us about yeah? Do you tell us about that body on uh, Doctor Sleep? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I actually had to go to therapy for years. After yeah, that. <laughs> I hate Mike Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll go last and I'll say that um, I there are some I, I'm going to echo everything that the guy said about the first two acts. I think they work incredibly well. I think it is a Ghostbusters movie in tone um, that is recapturing everything that the first two movies did, but with different people. Um, I do think it leans a little bit heavily on uh Hey, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? But not too bad. Um, like when the ghost traps come up or when the proton packs come up. And I did get to watch it uh, in that New York Comic Con audience. And it was it was a, it was too much in that. Like there were applause breaks for everything. Because you're in that audience for Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like um, when we I, saw Uncut Gems at TIFF, you know, we were just in the middle of it. <laughs> exactly. Everything that happened. <laughs> we were just like, yeah. Um, but well, like, like are... Sandler gets shot in the head and the guys are applauding. Like, well, oh no, when, when there is a real moment where I've told this on this show before as a tangent of all tangents, but where um, when Kevin <laughs> Garnett makes the basket at the, the big in the climax of the movie, yeah. spoilers for Uncut Gems and a thing that happened in real life. Um, Sean goes, <laughs> yes. In the crowd oh, yeah, of <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, it, was, it happened. Yes. Degenerate gambling. I'm so very familiar with it. <laughs> continue, continue. But, I mean, it's hard to talk about this because without being able to get into any kind of spoilers, there are there are controversial choices that are made at the end of this movie that I cannot wait to see the discourse on. And normally I normally I hate the discourse and want nothing to do with it. But I am going to be fascinated to see how people react to a couple of the big choices that happened in the final act. And... Um, and and in this case, I'm just going to sit back and, and absorb everybody's reactions to them. Um, and we'll see. I, I will say that it didn't necessarily work for me. And it was a it was a, a not a huge red flag, but a big enough red flag that I that I was a little bit bothered by it. So um, do we want to do we want to take like five behind a spoiler wall and, and discuss? Because I think we were texting about the specifics that we want to. And it's a pretty quick sure. discussion. We, I think we can make that work. If we can take, do that, yeah. So what, how do we do this? I will let the audience know now. We are about to get into spoilers. Check the show notes if you're on YouTube. It'll be spaced out on the little player. We're going to talk about spoilers briefly uh, for Ghostbusters. Catch us on the other side where we'll get right into the blend game. You're Go such ahead, a good Sean. producer. So, I mean, Ghost Egon is a problem for me. And the Ghost yeah. Egon is a problem for me because I thought that the movie did a, a, a strong job conveying... Him His communicating presence. to McKenna Grace uh, yeah. all the way through. And um, and it's not only that, but it is how quickly um, it gets resolved of him being an absentee father for Carrie Coon's character. That just because he had a montage board of old photos, that all is forgiven. Well, I um, thought it was I thought it was the realization that he was saving the world. 
Oh, okay. Maybe. The montage was like a punk. I think that was like a punctuation of like, oh, he cared. Emotionally, he was there. And then you, then she finds out, especially after she gets possessed, like, oh, the world was ending and he was just trying to keep me and the family safe. But everyone thought he was crazy. I bought that. For me, what didn't work about Ghost Egon, which is unfortunate because it's this weird, it's, I don't know how to fix it without putting him in hit in the movie less, yeah. which feels like a disservice to honoring him in the first place. Sure. Mm. Um, because to me, the only issue was obviously he could not speak in the role. Um, mm. So he's just visually there. And I thought the visuals were great. I thought it looked, mm-hmm. um, I thought it looked really great and everything he does is very sweet, um, but it's because it goes on so long and he has, does. and he doesn't, and he doesn't speak and you assume, I don't know if they've established in the Ghostbusters, I believe ghosts talk um, or can talk. I can't think of any examples of them talking in either. Is of the it two technically movies. the the villain from uh, the second one? Doesn't he talk whenever he's oh, like Vigo? coming? Vigo? Oh, or interesting. It's I been think so, the guy, I, I feel like I've seen two so little. No, point being, someone point, speaks for Vigo. Okay. Well, regard regardless of that, I, I guess maybe I give it a pass of like, oh, that's the established universe. Regardless of that sure. being the way, it does feel it goes from one shot of him reacting to someone to another shot to another, and you're like, okay, and then it just keeps going. You're like, okay, he would say something here. Yes, like he has to say something here, and the fact that he doesn't, we know that he can't, but and that it would, you know, it would probably be in poor taste to get like a voice actor, yeah, or, you know, I, someone I, to do an impression. I, but it just it to me, I, the solution I that I pitched to you guys in the text thread. Was to just cut down the things that he does. I think. I think that like the hug. That's fair. With Carrie Coon's character is has to happen. That's the but, payoff of that, that whole that story arc. Moment. To tell me you didn't get chills when McKenna Grace is is struggling and fighting yeah. and can't, and then all of a sudden his arms wrap around. Like right. I, I'm getting chills right now. I don't, like that. Don't, to me, that is worth. That's great. The, the two or three shots that, yeah, maybe those went into. But I think maybe just my knowledge of what the situation was yeah. gave it a pass. It was just sort of like. On a second rewatch, because um, I've been lucky enough to see it twice. And I will say that the entirety of the movie is building toward her being the one to have the, the power to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's figured out every step of the way what needs to be done. And I almost think that. With his hand on her shoulder, potentially, she should have been the fourth Ghostbuster standing next to them. Like that that's the theme of the movie of of like the fact that she's the next generation. And I would have been OK if they let her be the one who, you know, she she figures out the trap. You know, she lures them to the lures them to the house. And if she's the one who who springs it, I'm OK with all that. I saw it more as they're all all the kids of the new Ghostbusters. Yeah. That's what I yep. saw it as. Those are the four new ghosts. But like, I think the old guy, oh, that's, we were touching on this before we got to spoilers that the Ghostbusters are back. Um, that was the sense I got. So I didn't, I didn't feel like she needed to be the one. I felt like she had a really poignant moment. Uh, to your point, I don't necessarily believe in like pitching, like this is what I would have done. Mm-hmm. Criticism of films because, you know, I don't know. It is what it is. But I do think in that instance, for me, what would have worked is if they had cut down some of the interactions that Egon has, and it would have mm-hmm. been the great moment of him helping her. It would have been the great moment of the Ghostbusters looking at him and reacting to him because that was fine. And it was like he didn't need to speak in that. But it was the fact that like three or four people came up to him and like interacted with him. And and I get the I get the emotional reasons of it because, you know, it's his grandkids. I felt like they should have just taken that out and just had, you know, three moments. One, the most important being Carrie Coon kind of. But let me uh, also level this criticism. 
Go ahead. Because I used this term in our text chain recently, and you guys pushed back on it, where I said he botched the arrival of the original guys. Someone said to me, and I believe this, that they only had the original guys for like one day to shoot. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if the movie had maybe more time with them, and that's just the reality of the shoot, potentially, Mm -hmm. um, it goes from the phone call in the prison to they're just there. You know, and you have to assume that behind the scenes, there's a lot of legwork that went into uh, Dan Aykroyd patching up relationships with all these guys, getting them their equipment and then getting to wherever Midwest state that they are. Yeah. And fine. You just overlook it because they show up. But I guess I would have liked just a little more, you know, build up to them kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. It worked for me. I I didn't have um, it's felt. A part of the issue, I don't even want to call it an issue. That whole moment in the film is very much the Ghostbusters uh, sort of tone and stuff that I say, like, I just don't love. That doesn't really hit me. And a part of that is like them just kind of walking onto this little set. But that feels very much like a Ghostbusters thing of them just walking onto this little set. And, you know, it's this this set piece happens. Um, I felt like maybe that could have been a bigger thing. Like maybe that could have been a more interesting than just literally walking up. Yeah. But the logistics, of it, I, I didn't feel like I needed more. But again, I'm not a diehard Ghostbusters fan who has all this expectation. So Okay, I'm just kind of thinking about this in the moment. You know, Go it would have been cool in the existence of the movie as it was. I would have liked to seen them show up at the moment in the in Gozer's tower um, mm-hmm. when McKenna Grace is kind of confronting them, like have them show up there and then be from that point on from that point of the movie on kind of thing. Sure. Give us a little more time with them. You ain't getting yeah. Bill Murray for that long. That I was going to say, but I, but I do <laughs> understand not. the, yeah, like, the, <laughs> unless, it does unless look Wes like Anderson they... directs Ghostbusters 4. Did you watch, Sean, did you watch the full, both, uh, both in credit scenes? Yes. Yeah. Uh, with Ernie Hudson buying the fire station? Yeah. That one, I almost missed it because and they then, had the. And Sigourney. Yeah. The Sigourney and Bill scene feels like it was supposed to be earlier in the movie. I think oh, you were supposed to see that Bill is around almost like Dan. It, Dan got a scene on the phone. Yeah, it did surprise me that like you get Sigourney back and make her a post credit scene that like in theory, a lot of people will miss because while people are trained for post credit scenes for Marvel, I don't think a lot of people are. But she trained. was but she was shooting five Avatar movies probably. during. <laughs> like, I didn't know. Like, Sean, did you know that there are there, there are well, yeah, there are post credit scenes for Resident Evil? Like I was getting up and like walking out and, and then all of a sudden oh, they start okay. playing and I was like, oh shit, there, there's post-credit scenes. I had no idea. No. Yeah. Th- there should be a warning at the beginning of every yeah. movie, like yeah. stay to the end. Kind of or you should watch the credits. I guess there's an argument for that, but you know. All right. There's an argument for I got shit to do, Gabe. I agree. I agree. I also got up and left and the person there was like, oh, there's another one. And I was like, oh. I swear to God, there's a whole other dance sequence in West Side Story. I'm oh, be like, but what the before, hell? Before we leave spoilers, there's going to be another one. Is that the, kind of what they were trying to give well, us? Well, Ernie, Ernie Hudson told me, uh, I interviewed him recently, and he told me that, that they're writing, he said they're, they're writing Ghostbusters 4. And, I'm in. Like I me, said, I, I really liked it. I wish. Yeah. But are I, they my biggest criticism is I wish that their... this had come out in the summer because it felt like such a great summertime yeah. blockbuster. And it was originally they, supposed to come out in July. But it feels like July. a fall movie, though, doesn't it? No, it's I mean, set in the summer. To me, it felt like is a it set summer. In the summer? Yeah. Oh, summer it's school. the summer school. You're right. You're right. To you're me, right, it right. felt so, like a summer Amblin kids in a small town. Yeah. And if they pass the, the, the pack over to McKenna Grace, I'm totally fine with that. Like, I think that that's okay. I would do. All the kids were great. 
Even the yeah. even his like girlfriend who's kind of barely in it, she was fun. Yeah. Like she was yeah. she was fun and in I, what she had. She didn't have much podcast, to do. I even see podcast podcast, podcast is, is, is the type of kid character who I normally don't like. Yeah, but I thought that kid was great. He nailed it every time yeah. that he had a little. No, I was prepared to not like that character because I was like, oh god, here we. It's like here's the here's the uh, precocious little quirky yeah. little <laughs> little side character, and I was like, he, oh no, I like you. There he gets better and two. better. There are one or two elements in the movie where, um, and and this is nitpicking, and it's still spoilery. I'm going to mention this. Um, okay. Where they open up the trap, you know, Paul Rudd hooks it up to the to the bus battery, and they open up the trap, and they very clearly see a gigantic ghost that then flies off, right? And mm-hmm. in the next scene, Paul Rudd's just driving him back home to the house, and there's no mention of it at all whatsoever. <laughs> like he's oh, just like, oh, the, the wolf, like the wolf ghost. Yeah, it's like a gigantic monster ghost that comes busting out of the trap and flies off. And then the next scene, they're just like, all right, I guess I'll bring you home now. Like there are elements of that where I was just like, I wonder if this got tinkered with a little bit. Interesting. I don't know. It didn't stand out to me. They had the great. um, They show his like windshields blown out, which was a fun, which was like a a fun little bit. Yes. But yeah. Interesting. And there is that terrific shot, which we talked about in the interview of. um when they are capturing the ghost for the first time and they're, they're racing along the, the, the dirt road and they've yeah. got the, the ghost and the beam yeah. and, and it's beautifully shot. driving the, it is beautifully Great. shot. Yeah. Uh, when Finn shot. takes the, the, um, uh, Ecto one through the, through the wheat or the, yep. the yeah, that, that was beautiful. What it's, would you guys give it? I, I know, I know Gabe, I know you're not a big fan of the out of five. But yeah. I, this, yeah. This will be very arbitrary. I guess I would give it like a four. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm I, there's nothing a, about it that I would say I hated, like or yeah. you know, super disliked. But yeah, four, I would go. So I would. I would go four as well. I probably like a three and a half. I probably like a three and a half. But I liked it. I definitely liked it. Yeah. So if we're Rotten Tomatoes, America thinks we're giving it a hundred percent. We're fra- I, well, well, What is it at? Is it at? Oh, that's okay. a good Can you question. look? I would recommend look? it though to, to the Rotten Tomatoesification of it. If yeah. I was giving a binary, it's you know, lower than I pass. thought it would be. Are you? You have it up? Yeah. What What would you guys predict it is right now? Is it 92 only, reviews? Is it? It's only critic reviews right now, right? Or Correct. do they have any audience Correct. reviews? Correct. Um, 60. I would have thought like 72. 66. So split the difference. Oh. I would have thought it would have been higher. Hmm. No, we don't like it. Not, we don't like not, things not, anymore. <laughs> you know, if you hadn't said that, I, maybe I would have put it in the 80s. Yeah, because I, I just felt like, you know, basically it's sort of the flaw of Rotten Tomatoes where like even if you just like it, it's fresh. Mm. I would have thought there would have been enough critics that like would have just liked it enough. Yeah. Mm. We just well, don't. We, we just don't like things anymore. Yeah, people are. <laughs> All right. <mean. laughs> well, our blend game is Ivan Reitman blend, and yeah. um, so I I picked Ghostbusters. Did anybody not pick Ghostbusters? Oh, you I did, did not, not pick Ghostbusters. You did not. Well, well then I'll go first. He, he um, picked Ghostbusters too. So Ghostbusters. No, Sean, or Jake, did you pick Ghostbusters? Yes, I did. Okay, uh, so you guys both picked Ghostbusters. Okay, okay. it's um. It's adorable to me that you guys talk about not being born when Ghostbusters came out or whatever it was, because uh, <laughs> don't, uh, I, don't don't forget what you said in this podcast. I'm old. You're old. Definitely old. <laughs> um, this was one of those movies. I think I was in fifth grade when it came out. Um, Perfect age where um, my parents didn't want me to see it. Um, but on the school bus. Everyone was quoting it like incessantly like every bill murray joke every dan Aykroyd joke they were just like driven into the ground and and the more you heard it the more it drove you nuts that you couldn't go see it like i begged my my mom like please can we go see ghostbusters but like she knew those guys from like stripes 
and yeah. trading places. Yeah. Uh, and so she was like, no, you're not going to go see that movie. Um, and, you know, then it has an oral sex joke in it. Oh, and yeah. it has like things that. But it was like, you guys don't understand how big that movie was. It was it was just in because it was the song. You know, yeah. and it was the video being on MTV constantly. And it was big for like a more than a decade, right? Like it was like animated series, toys, and all that stuff. Didn't all that last for yes, years beyond the films itself? And even like I think so, Ghostbusters I think is eighty four, and then the sequel was eighty nine. So it's like it was a while in between yeah. those two coming out. Um, and so it was just enormous. And uh, I, it's one of those things where like it just came it came along at the right time. Perfect. You timing. know, it was a summer There's, movie. We talk about like going into movies with expectations, but there's something we will never have again at that age of the social pressure of everyone else. Like this story is specifically what you're talking about of why that age is perfect. The social pressure of everyone else being excited about it mm-hmm. yeah. and having the authorities telling you that you can't watch it yeah. gives a movie like a bit of magic yeah. that you can't put in a trailer, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you just fall in love with those things. But like everything about it in the moment worked. Like the Stay Puff joke worked and you know, Rick Moranis was huge, you know, wow. so to have him in like a supporting part, yeah. Sigourney Weaver was huge. Like that cast at the time was enormous. Yeah. It was enormous. And so, and it just was so funny. It just played so well. Um, and it's one of those deals where it's fun to listen to them talk about the making of it because they went into it, not really knowing a hundred percent how it was going to work. But then in the moment of them shooting it, Bill Murray kind of turned to Aykroyd and he's like, Oh, I think we actually have something here, you know, cause you gotta remember they're coming off of, stripes and caddyshack and and all those other movies that were just like hangout movies for funny people whereas this had a legitimate story to it Mm -hmm. um and creating characters that like people were everyone wanted to be bill murray in ghostbusters you know that just that was the person you wanted to personify and i hadn't seen that since um or i hadn't seen that before i hadn't seen anything hit the zeitgeist um, in a way, like, I guess Star Wars was close to it because Star Wars was kind of everywhere. But that freaking Ghostbusters logo was on everything, F- everything. It was everywhere. And so um, but it's also a great movie like that. It's overlooking the fact of how popular it was, of how well it works. Like, like the the three guys are so perfectly put together. Um, it's it's small scale in a way. Like I was making this joke during the uh, junket about how. Their first interaction with trying to capture a ghost is uh, in the new movie is them in the um, Ecto one racing around a town and she's in a pilot seat and and they're blasting through the entire town. And it's big. It's big. Like, even though you were doing a Ghostbusters and in Ghostbusters, it's just them in a dining room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the the, the stunt and, was and at one point in a hallway, right? Uh, well, yeah, they chase Slimer yeah. through a hallway kind of thing. But like the stunt is Bill Murray pulling the tablecloth off of the table of the yeah. stuff. Um, and so it's it's small because of the budget and because of them not knowing it. But it worked in its in its favor. And yeah. yeah, I went back and rewatched all the end of it too somewhat recently. And everything on top of the roof is just funny. And it's it's just funny. It still holds up. It's still it's still incredibly, incredibly funny. So um, it's a there's, there's a reason why it's as beloved as it is. Yeah, I mean, I I think a testament to the film is I feel like I can say everything that Sean just said about the movie, but 10 years later. And I feel like that's a compliment to the film is like I grew up and I knew what that logo was. I grew like you all like you don't even have to put the word Ghostbusters out. You show someone that logo and you go, what's that? And they go, what's Ghostbusters? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, You know, when you're a kid, it's you know, it's it's 
you know, it's a great introduction. Not, it's not even like a horror film, but it's like such a great introduction to things that like are a little edgy. You know, yeah. we talk about sort of like, you know, the, the Amblin films of the day, like a Gremlins or a Ghostbusters where it's kind of, you know, granted my parents just whatever you want to watch, whatever. But, you know, it, when you're a kid and you're watching it, you kind of, there's a part of you that feels like this is a little edgy and like, ooh, they just swore. They just used a swear word. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, there's a ghost. Like, it's kind of fun. Um, I, I loved it. Um, yeah, I, I had... The toy. I had the action figures, and again, by this point, we're talking like these characters are almost ten years old. By this point, yep. Um, and I'm playing like what what ten year old characters are are kids playing with now? They came out ten years ago. Um, they're either playing with characters that that were created, you know, uh, fifty years ago, or they're playing with what, what Minecraft? What is it? Minecraft? Uh, yeah, Fortnite. Yeah, For, Fortnite, Fortnite. Minecraft. My, Minecraft's yeah. about yeah. you know you're like six years late on that. <laughs> okay, <I> guess, <laughs> whatever it is, and uh, no, it's it's just you know, and and I also went back and rewatched um the movie uh before before the junket, and, and there was a come on, and it had been a couple of years, and I kind of sat down and went, yep, it still got it, it's yeah. st- like it's still <laughs> like from from when you watched it when it came out to when I watched it, you know, almost nearly ten years later as a little kid to both of us watching it now as grown as uh, grown adults. It's a testament to the film that the humor still works, the the effects still work, the visuals still work, the performances still work. There's not really anything where you think like, oh man, age has not done that aspect of the film well. You just go, nope, it's yep. it's still got it. It's still perfect. Pretty remarkable. Gabe, you didn't choose it. Where'd you go? No, so I'm, I'm, again, I guess this is his favorite, not best. And I more wanted to pick something that I is is closer to me for nostalgic reasons and kind of hit me in a in a big way because as i've mentioned ghostbusters i've enjoyed i just never never fell in love with it um and it's funny because we mentioned this last week is uh evolution oh nice and i know it's it's a weird i love a, evolution i love evolution and it, it's a that is a perfect example of a movie that hit me at the right age and i watched on you know repeat or on cable when it come up and just the humor is great and the you know the weird monster things are great and to this day like i think a few months ago i saw it on cable i don't even know where i was because i don't have cable um but I, it was on and i was like oh let's just watch let me watch a handful of scenes you know when the when the asteroid hits and you know when uh uh when they're like chasing them in the mall and stuff like that and uh orlando jones is hilarious in it <laughs> it's one of those movies that just hit me at the right time and now when i watch it it puts a smile on my face just because like i I know every line of it. Um, and it's fun. I think it has a really good, I mean, it's, it's, it's a testament to Ivan Reitman's ability to sort of, um, play with tone in all of these things where it has kind of creepy moments and it has like, it has some creature creepy moments in that specifically. It's funny. It has like, uh, you know, there's like a sexiness to it here and there that he can Mm -hmm. play with that. Like you mentioning like the oral sex joke where it starts to feel a little taboo, but it never quite, you know, nails an R rating. Um, and I think that's a talent of his um, that's maybe underrated or people don't call to too often of his ability to really play with a multiple sets oh, of tones in a, in a film. I'm fairly serious that uh, Bill Murray in Ghostbusters, where he's shocking the nerd, but not shocking the blonde girl, and that you see uh, that he's lying, that it was like one of the first times a light bulb went off in my head where I was like, Oh, guys can do that. <laughs> like, oh, he wants to he wants to date her. And uh, like, <laughs> that's I was funny. in fifth grade. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that that's possible. Like, that was from the first moments. Yeah. But, but looking back at his filmography and he has a pretty. um, uh, What's the word? He has a pretty like diverse, diverse, but like a, um, he doesn't have like 90 films that you need to watch in order to. Mm. He has yeah. he has like he, he picks and chooses, you know, things that he's 
directed over the years and it's diverse and there's a it's every single one i go oh i love that when i watched it oh that yeah, was yeah, fantastic yeah. oh i've seen i think i've seen all of these like how often do you see you know and you just yeah. happen to see all of them because they're on like right. dave is one i didn't see until i was in college which was probably the perfect time to watch oh yeah dave, dave you know like delightful it's great love and and uh so i pick evolution because it's it hit me at the right time it has it has its own weird sort of nostalgic feeling for me but ivan reitman in particular is like a sleeper all-timer where you just you look at his filmography and you go oh i love everything this guy's done that's yep. wild to, yeah, and yeah. you don't necessarily watch a movie and go i'm gonna watch this ivan reitman movie you know right, you love right. the characters and the things that yeah. he that he creates in them which yeah. i think is almost really how i feel kind of about I, I still stand by that one of the most underrated directors of all time is rob reiner like yeah, yeah. Start talking similar about that's like a very what, good you know, comparison like yeah every freaking thing he the dude the dude did misery and a few good men and and harry met sally and spinal tap and, Bride. and then he went off a cliff rob reiner fell off a cliff after a little while he had what a great run north uh yeah and rumor has it which is the only yeah, movie i like I bucket list though i like bucket list oh did he do that one yeah, I like bucket list. All right, audience picks for uh, Ivan. Uh, throw it. We got. We have Kevin's pick to get to. Oh, first. sorry, oh, hey. Kevin's. Kevin weighed in before going away on vacation. That's how efficient he is. He's good. Uh, and so here's BDK's pick for uh, Ivan Reitman all right. Hey, guys, obviously, uh, I'm not live on the show with you today, but I was recording this prior to leaving for my vacation because I wanted to be a part of the Ivan Reitman blend because he's one of the best filmmakers that I grew up watching. Uh, obviously, uh, he's him and his son, Jason Reitman, are on our show this week, which is wild. Um, the interview that we did with them was so special. Um, and that's why I had to ultimately go with the first Ghostbusters for Ivan Reitman, no question. Um, and, and I know that seems like a, an obvious choice, but like that film had so much of an impact on me because it was genuinely scary to see it as a kid. One, two, the practical effects that were used back then to bring those scenes to life to me, it was just special because it always showed you that you could do things in camera. And I know today a lot of filmmakers like to do things in post. Luckily, we have directors like Nolan and, uh, and Denis Villeneuve and Tarantino who love to do as much as they can in camera. But back then, you know, when Ivan Reitman was making Ghostbusters, if you wanted to have a scene like he talks about in our interview where he's uh, an egg starts to uh, uh, be cooked on a, on a countertop practically, it's just amazing what they come up with. Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, also, I mean, clearly, as a kid, Ghostbusters was a big deal because the proton pack. I mean, my parents got my brother and I proton packs. I have some of my favorite photos I ever have with my father uh, are myself wearing a proton pack. You run around and yell, don't cross the streams. And, uh, you know, that movie was just so special um, from the song to 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 the cast, um, you know, Aykroyd and everybody, Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson and, you know, uh, the, the incredible uh, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, it was just a brilliant cast. Rick Moranis. I mean, there's so many Sigourney Weaver. There's so many great, great uh, actors in the film. But that film to me uh, and just the Stay Puft Marshmallow scene, I, I always found that so mind blowing watching that gigantic marshmallow uh, walk through the streets of New York like that. Um, but yeah, that movie is is is, is a, has a very special place in my heart and to this day. And I, I love Ghostbusters too as well. I think two is great. I I know people don't love two as much, but I'll never forget seeing two for the first time because of that painting. Um, and I remember being horrified and terrified by the painting. Um, that guy's face on the painting. Um, that movie was pretty, pretty wild. So, but Ghostbusters one, no question has got to be my Ivan Reitman blend pick. Uh, he's just uh, a special, which is why, you know, last week on the show, I emotionally even said how much 
it meant that we were going to have Jason and Ivan Reitman on together because that conversation, as you've already seen in the show, um, is just so intimate and personal to watch father and son go back and forth. So that is my pick. I miss you guys and love you guys. Sorry I'm not on the show with you guys this week. I am uh, on a cruise or on a boat somewhere, hopefully. Um, and uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Thanks, Kevin, for participating this week's show. Hope you're enjoying your vacation, and we'll see you back here next week. Uh, audience picks for Ivan Reitman Blend. So Harry Lickman went with Ghostbusters. Uh, Mike Reyes of Cinema Blend said Dave... The most uh, charming films from a charming man, Mike Reyes. Uh, Paul Marsh reminds us that it's his favorite, not best, and says Draft Day. Draft Day is a good movie. I like Draft Day. Yeah, it's, Draft Day is it's a fun at, film. In no way an accurate reflection of how that happens, but it's no. really fun <laughs> to think about. <laughs> it reminds you that uh, Kevin Costner is super charming when he wants to be. So yeah, yeah. Just a, he's, a, he's a movie star. Uh, Cam McKinney, John Palmer. Danny Phil went with Stripes. And Dave Hammer, I believe, is pulling our leg when he says Six Days Seven Nights because nobody really likes that movie. I Sorry, liked Dave. it. I was wrong, that's another one. Six Days Seven yeah. Nights. It's, it's Harrison kind of sleepwalking through a movie. But like it? that's a fun. You got to look now when you look back on it. Don't you kind of like that? You're like, oh, remember when he had that face where we were just yeah. I guess Harrison I Ford probably should. I wasn't probably wasn't should that like it. his like Air Force One? Like that was when he was still like like a yeah, yeah, right? yeah and everything that's around yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so for next week, <laughs> what? Oh, this uh, is an is this an announcement? Oh, I guess we can. Yeah, can uh, we? we have, I don't think we've said this anywhere. Is he a bonus? No. <laughs> no offense uh, to our bonus. Yeah. But like, no, it's the it's the biggest movie of the oh, week. Oh, right. Week. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Okay, so for next week, um, our guest on the main show is uh, <laughs> Sir Ridley Scott. Uh, so Ridley Scott is joining Real Blend to talk House of Gucci. So, and, so Sean, could you just say that one more time? And a lot of the last duel. So Ridley Scott uh, is going to be joining yeah. us as a guest on Real Blend. He talks about a lot more than the House of Gucci, though. It's one of those interviews where, like, he just kind of naturally falls into. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when yeah, I was doing Alien, about, when I was doing Blade yeah, Runner. Or Gladiator. Yeah. Or, and like, you know. I, I propose a, a drinking game, guys. Yes. Oh, a all right. Every time I ask him a question, if he doesn't actually answer, <laughs> you have to take a shot. Okay. Wait, he doesn't answer? That he doesn't he, answer. He doesn't oh, actually you'll be, answer. He doesn't actually answer. You'll be but there's no connection yeah. between what he says and what I actually asked. He, yeah. he more took... Which I, I don't I don't know if it was just specifically Jake because it wasn't I didn't seem like it was a it malicious felt thing like it was just me it, it might have been specifically you. but it doesn't seem like he like you know when someone dodges a question they go yeah sure. yeah, yeah yeah and then they dodge your question it felt like he started and then he was like actually I'm taking this train on it, this other it track it felt like he heard like of like if my question had like twelve words in it yeah it yeah. felt like he heard two of them right. And then yeah. talked about what those two words made him think about. But yes. what he says, <laughs> regardless, regardless of if it answered no. your question, what he says after. What is he says still is interesting. I just wish I could like re-record a question <laughs> yeah. that that made sense between the two. Without giving too much away, there is a moment in, in this interview where Jake asks a question. Ridley rambles for a little while. Jake repeats the question. Ridley rambles in a different direction. <laughs> And then Kevin, Kevin goes up next and says, no, but Ridley, can you just answer Jake's question? <laughs> Which props to Kevin for being very yeah. nice and, and uh, no. genuinely trying to get an answer to my... It was a good question. And he did. He did answer it. And he did answer it, yes. Then at that point, he did answer it. But so. again, it was be what he was saying was still interesting. It was oh, just... Oh, it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Jake's questions were more suggestions. 
he ha- because he has more too many stories, stories than yeah. he than too he many. could ever possibly share. It was it's brilliant. Well, tune yeah. in next week. You yeah. got a week's wait. He, it's one of those conversations where he'll be like, we we bring up Matt Damon, and he's like, well, he and I had just done The Martian together, so it wasn't weird for me to hop on the phone with him. And yeah. I was like, oh my god, that's right, you guys did The, that's right, yeah, the yeah. Martian oh, yeah. together. Yeah, that's it's pretty amazing. When a, when a movie to the quality of The Martian, and I love The Martian is one that you forget about in yeah. someone's filmography. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty. He, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it next week. There's more. We, it's a fascinating discussion. We will have lots to talk about after that interview. And um, where? And before we overshadow yeah. on Wednesday of next week. Yes. We, we, we do have a bonus episode going up Wednesday of next week with the director of the new Resident Evil record. This is a really film, fun conversation. Johannes name escapes Roberts. Me. Johannes Roberts. Johannes. Um, yes. Awesome conversation. Awesome, awesome conversation. Totally. If you're a fan of those games and those kinds of that story, um, he's a giant geek who got of to play which with all Jake the toys. Is, Jake is a big fan of that franchise, yeah. and uh, you guys really connected on on your love of the the Capcom stuff. So. I think all three of us did. I think it was just a yeah. really nice, flowy. Like you know, Sean and I didn't have a ton of time to prep beforehand, but it was one of those where he was great enough where all of us. Again, I would put it in that category of like it really felt like a conversation where we were yeah. all just kind of shooting like like you would have natural follow ups, I would have natural follow like he would jump. You know, I I really I I walked away from that going that was great. I love any fun. of our uh, interviews when the person swears and then has to say to us, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, can I swear on this?" Wait. Now, Ridley Scott swears and at no point asked for permission. He doesn't Never care. once. Uh, Never when's once. the last time Ridley Scott asked for permission <laughs> for anything? anything? <laughs> oh, I can't wait for people to hear this conversation. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, okay, so next week we're playing, obviously, hashtag Ridley Scott blend. So uh, you can let us know your pick via Twitter using hashtag Ridley Scott blend, or you can email us realblend at cinemablend.com. Uh, reviews. We need to, we haven't read a review on the show in a long time. So if you, uh, if you liked the show, if you've been listening to us, and you'd like to send us a review, you can go over to Apple Podcasts and you can write one down there. We'll be able to see it. Or you can email us uh, at the same place that you play the uh, the blend game at a real blend at cinemablend.com. Uh, premium is going to be a, the premium. Oh, the premium episode episode is going to be a pr- preliminary discussion of this year's uh, awards race. And so it's basically just at this point um, in November, us kind of pulling out a couple of movies and a couple of performances that we uh, think are are worthy of people checking out if you haven't yet. There's been a lot of movies yeah. that are hitting theaters recently. We've been able to catch up with a lot of them recently. That does not mean in any way, shape, or form uh, that we're not going to be doing a lot of uh, awards talk here on the main show. Of course, the 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 long timers, uh, the real the real fa- real folk. What do we call them? Re- real ones. The real ones. The real ones uh, know that we started the show as awards blend back in the day, mm-hmm. and uh, so that will be a big topic of conversation as we go forward but um again if you want access to these premium episodes which are always a lot of fun very loose very casual filled with a lot of laughs go to cinemablend.com backslash real blend premium follow us on all of our social media channels and we'll be back next week spider-man spider-man does whatever uh spielberg passed At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.